All right, Justin, A through Z. A. Don't choose A because that actually has something on it. Like that actually is a specific game. And we've got other things to talk about, so don't choose A oh, through I forgot, E. I forgot that with that we still that those are still tied to games. So they can't just be letters. I can't be like the letter A, but just the letter, not the game. No. So that we can not include them. No. <laughs> okay. Because those those are specific uh, games. A through E are specific games. Uh, you're killing me. D. <laughs> the first letter that is not a specific game. No, I think that it's is, up to E because it's it? A through E. But D works because it's a it's news and shit, oh. so we can still make that work. <laughs> Sorry, uh, we haven't done them in so long. I get it. We've we've forgotten yeah, how many we have. I need to remember the letters. <laughs> um, D is news in general, but I'll skew it and still go more movie and entertainment related with all this. Uh, as of, what was it, 12 a.m. this morning, the Screen Actors Guild has officially gone on strike, joining the WGA, which has pretty much put a halt to every production out there at this point. Um, there are a few still going, but they legally can. Uh, House of the Dragon Season 2 is still filming, but that's because they film in other countries, and they have the local unions there as a part of the production. So they legally can't shut that down due to this strike without breaking the laws for those unions. So those are allowed to continue with no repercussions from the writers or screen actors guilds. So that's fine, but everything else has stopped. Deadpool three was still filming that shut down. Um, Actors are not to do any sort of promotion of anything at this point, essentially, outside of some existing things they can do through Cameo now. But that's because the Screen Actors Guild made a deal with Cameo today. Uh, last night, the Oppenheimer premiere was happening in London. And at midnight, all of the actors there left. And that's technically midnight here. So it was like seven or whatever there. Anyway, they left because they were officially on stoppage at that point. Um, so that is a current thing. Um, they are, like I said, they are joining the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, in their continued strike for uh, the writers, especially. It is very much about pay structures when it comes to streaming services, especially. Because writers get no residuals from anything on streaming services. And that is a complete affront to everything that the entertainment industry has ever been. You're supposed to get residuals every fucking time your shit airs. You know, and that they do not do that on streaming services uh, at all for anything. You know, even whenever they sell the rights to shit, they don't get a cut of that. Like if, you know, Parks and Rec is on Netflix and, the, you know, they sell the, you know, the rights to air Parks and Rec on Netflix, they're not getting a cut of that. They're not getting anything. And then if you shoot it for Netflix, like if it's a Netflix original series and this and that, you also get nothing. 
whereas typically you would as a writer or an actor. And that's because streaming services do not reveal their numbers. They hide their numbers. They'll never actually tell you how many times something is watched. They'll say something is the most watched. They'll say, oh, this has been viewed over a thousand times or whatever. But they'll never tell you the exact numbers. And they do that. So no one, writers, actors, no one can come at them and say, hey, you said it's been viewed this many times. I want that many residuals. Or I want my residual rate at that. That's very intentional and that's why they hide it. And that's essentially one of the things for all streaming services. They want the numbers out there. They want the numbers public. They're all publicly traded companies. They want the numbers public so that they can get their cut of that, which makes sense when you have the Netflix CEO is a billionaire. David, what Zaslav or whatever from WB, he makes $25 million a year. And bonuses. That's like his base salary is 24, 25 million. And you get bonuses and this. And David Zaslav has done nothing good whatsoever as the CEO of Warner Brother Discovery. Other than like making, what's his name? James Gunn and the other guy, the heads of DC. Other than that, he's done nothing good. He took HBO original shows that were on the Mac streaming platform And sold them to Netflix also. So now you can watch like Sopranos on Netflix also. Why are you not keeping them there to have them buy your platform so you make the fucking money? Like he can at the Batgirl movie. You know, he's he's done all these crazy things. No one likes the guy and he makes so much fucking money. Warner Brothers last year could only release three movies because that's all the money they had to market. They had no fucking money. And this man was making $24 million that year. But you can't pay writers. You can't pay actors. That would, that would be crazy. I, I can't not have a private jet and a private yacht and $24 million a year. That's just ludicrous. And then on top of that, the studios came together in their infinite wisdom and went to the Screen Actors Guild the day before they were to go on strike when their contract was to end and to propose to them a groundbreaking proposal, by the way, that they had come up with a plan to allow background actors to show up for one day and get paid for one day, which is about $200. And all they would do that day is get their images scanned, like their body, their face. They would, you know, make different faces. They'd say different words and they'd do all that shit and they'd scan it. And then they'd be able to use that in any movie or TV show or anything forever. And only ever pay them the $200 that they originally paid them. And they thought the actors would go, holy shit. That sounds uh, like a great idea. And then when the actors are like, "Uh, fuck you. The studios are like all aghast. They're like, I can't believe you wouldn't love this idea. Because, you know. 
they want to take something that obviously if you're listening to this fucking podcast or know us or anything like that, we love movies. We love television shows. We love this form of entertainment. And you want to take it and make it a nonstop digital hellscape with no actual people in it anymore. With no writers, no actors, no nothing. That's all just done by programs. Yeah. And they think we're going to side with them on that bullshit. Right. It's fucking insanity. And you also have to understand there's like 139,000 people in the Screen Actors Guild. I know when everybody thinks of Hollywood movie stars and all this shit, they think of millionaires. A very small percentage of the people in the Screen Actors Guild are millionaires. Like I was saying, the background actor day rate is $200 a day, which could mean you're on set for 16, 17, 18 hours waiting to do shit while they're setting shit up or tearing shit down or moving this here or moving that there or an actor's fucking up or fixing this. And you're making $200 for the whole day. And say they do a week of that. You just made a grand, but so much of that, like you also might've just worked 80 fucking hours to get that grand. You also might've only worked 30, but still you never know. And that's a lot of people in the Screen Actors Guild. They're the, they're the fucking people making day rates. They're the people making, you know, minimum contracts. They're the people doing that type of stuff. Is a majority of the Screen Actors Guild. These contracts aren't to save Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise or uh, who, Jennifer Lawrence. You know, these contracts aren't to save them. These contracts are to save Everyone else. That's what these contracts are for. To protect the the other people that act in movies, that make movies possible. It's also to ensure safety conditions. It's ensure to ensure working hours. It's to ensure overtime hours for these people. It's to ensure things like safety when it comes to sexual assault on movie sets. There's a provision that was in one of the last contracts three years ago that gave like a hotline or something like that to allow a safe place for people to report sexual misconduct on movie sets. Things like this are also why you have intimacy coordinators on movie sets to make sure actors are protected from producers and studios from doing things that they shouldn't do or don't want to do or any of that stuff when it comes to things of a physical or sexual nature in a movie. These contracts are to protect people and it's also to pay them what they should be making in general. They're not even really asking for pay raises. 
They're asking just to get paid like they've been getting paid for decades now. For every time you fucking air their show, they should make a little money. Most of the time, you're making 3 or $4 a fucking year on some fucking episode you shot 10 years ago. But if you've been in the business for a while and you've shot lots of episodes of shit and they're being watched millions of fucking times on Netflix or Hulu or any of the shit, yeah, you should be making some money from that. And it's not even like they're asking like a million dollars an episode. Ain't that shit. It's like the normal fucking rates of shit. I think for the, the, the royalty rate on streaming shit, I think they're asking like they understand it's slightly different. So they're not even asking for the normal royalty rate that you would get on a, like a TV show like that would air on NBC or something that might be in syndication that is now on TNT or whatever too, you know, they're not even asking for that normal rate because they do understand that streaming is slightly different, you know, because people could just fall asleep with your show on. They're not watching any commercials. They're not watching any of the shit that actually allow you to actually get paid like that from TV, you know, or it's just background noise. Cause you're putting on the office for the, 90,000th time this year, you know, but you should be making something because it's still serving a purpose. Entertainment now in our, in our culture now is infinitely more accessible than it was back in the day. If you missed an episode of TV back in the day, you would have to wait for reruns in the summer to fucking watch it again because they didn't even always go to DVD or VHS like they, that we became accustomed to, but they didn't always even used to do that. You would hope you could catch a rerun in the summer. And then after that, you know, Maybe watch it at 11, you know, 11 o'clock at night because it's airing on fucking Fox now at 11, you know, because they had to fill a time slot or some shit. You know what I mean? You had to fucking hunt and guess to find those episodes if you missed them. Any TV show online right now, I can pull up on my phone right now. Because I have most of the streaming services. I've bought a lot of shit. I can just go find an episode of shit and watch it. On the train, sitting right here, anytime I want. So, yeah, they should make a little money off that. It's not, it's not a crazy idea because they've been doing it for decades. That was the normal operating procedure. And when streaming services first started, the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild paused asking for residuals because uh, there were a lot of unknown variables. So they withheld even asking for that then because they didn't know. Nobody knew. We've got a pretty damn good idea now of what streaming is in this country and the effect it has on entertainment. We know now there's no variables. It is determined, especially at this point. We know this is where we're going. 
we're we're not going back to more traditional TV. Streaming is here and streaming is going to stay in one way, shape, or form or something. This is the future. So, yeah, we just need to keep paying them like we've been doing. It's not insanity. Same with writers. Writers made residuals too. It's the same shit. You know, a lot of people don't realize that if you're all like a writing team, there's like six people in a fucking room and they write this episode and then maybe they come back and write another episode. And that's how people make it a living writing in Hollywood for the most part. That's a majority of your writers write an episode of television here, there, every once in a while, just doing this here and there. If, you know, the showrunner really likes you and your writing style, they keep asking you back. You do more episodes. You make more money because whenever your fucking episode of shit aired, you made a little cut. You got a little residual check because you wrote that episode. So it's not crazy. This is how it was done. This was standard operating procedure in Hollywood for a long time. They're the ones that need to adapt for the future now. The studios, not writers, not actors. They're literally asking for it to continue as it's been with the change of it's now streaming. So that's a slight update with the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild of America uh, strikes that are now happening. I went really fucking long on that, guys. Why did y'all let me go that long? Holy fuck. I was engaged. I was intrigued. I just looked at our our little, like, I went, like, fucking 16 straight minutes about that. Just uninterrupted rambling of a madman. (laughs) You had a lot to say. It's an important topic. I, I go with the 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 Justin esque attire tonight, and apparently I'm becoming a <laughs> rambling madhouse. <laughs> uh, in other news, the internet is all over the place with the Tom Holland sex scene in his Apple TV uh, series he just did. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So there's I, a, Yeah, I knew that there was some stuff going on about Tom Holland. I did not know anything to do with that. Um there's a show on Apple TV, uh The Changing Room or something like that. Crowded Room. The Crowded Room, thank crowded you. Crowded Room. Yes. Uh, yes, he's playing somebody with DID. Uh if anybody's seen Moon Knight, you should know what that is at this point. Um but Yeah, he's playing somebody with DID. And apparently the episode that dropped today, uh, one of his personalities goes to a gay bar, does some sexy grinding on a man, and then uh, they have some uh, homosexual sex in a bathroom stall. And the internet is all over this. Uh, Hmm. Like a lot of Twitter is saying Tom Holland getting back shots, um, which I thought I knew a lot of sexual lingo. I did not know what a back shot was originally. I picked it up very quick. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, so, I was just thinking that myself, this, too. This isn't my first rodeo. I can pick it up very quickly. But <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening? Um. 
But I know Justin, when he came across this, he came across a slightly different crowd. Because a lot of the people that I saw on Twitter talking about it, they were making jokes because there's that movie coming out where Zendaya has a threesome in the trailer. And they're like, oh, Zendaya's having threesomes. And look at Tom. Look what he's doing. He's like, ha-ha. I'm going to one-up you with sex scenes, Zendaya. <laughs> you yeah, know, I saw a lot of stuff like that. that's probably what they're doing. Um, but Justin had a different experience with people online about this. And, I mean, I, you have to be the one to tell it, sir. Well, I don't know. I was like, are you going to go another 16 minutes and tell my story for me? Um, but, uh, I can't. I stole your look. I can't steal that, too. I guess you can. But um, but but no. Now, the reason why I even brought it to y'all's attention is because the way I found out about this was actually I was just randomly on Facebook and a guy posted just a little comment and it was like, I've lost complete respect for Tom Holland. And and it was just a comment. It was no links. There were no vid, there was no video. He didn't put any context. It was just simply that statement. I've lost all respect for Tom Holland. And immediately I thought the worst. I was like, oh no. Are there allegations against him? Did, did they find out something about him that is there some video or something of him? like do like saying something controversial and I was just like thinking all the worst things before investigating what this was and I was like no not Spider-Man you know I just had that <laughs> that whole uh reaction because of my fandom for him and everything so I start doing some digging and so I go into the comment section of this guy and somebody else is quizzical about it just like me they're like hey what are you talking about? What did he do? And he posted a link. So I followed the link, which took me to Twitter. And on Twitter, they had a the the clip from the, the crowded room and, you know, him getting the back shot, so to speak. And so I'm watching this and I'm going, OK, like this is and at first I was thinking, OK, is this like like a caught in the act video or something or some video was set up. Like, is it a controversial video? And I'm watching it and I'm like, I could tell by the way it was shot. I was like, okay, this is a film or something, man. This is like, this is just a movie or something. So then I do some more digging. I found out that it was the, the, the crowded room or whatever, that it was something that he was filming. And so then I'm like, what is the big deal about this? But all over Twitter, People are just saying things like, not my Spider-Man. I always knew Tobey Maguire was the best Spider-Man, and this is the reason why. And just all of this homophobic stuff about Tom Holland. I just went down a rabbit hole on Twitter, and it was just nothing but people angry, furious that he did this. Why would he do this? I can't believe Tom Holland would stoop to this level. And A lot of people just showing their homophobic side for somebody who is acting in a film. Like, I mean, would it be bad, too, if if it it came out that Tom Holland 
was having sex with a man, yes, it would still be terrible to react that way. Or if he came out gay or anything like that, yes, it would be terrible to react that way. But even still, I just found it so, well, I, I wasn't surprised, but I was just like, man, look how comfortable these people are being homophobic about this. And just saying that he has lost points for simply acting Being in a movie and showing his range. So I just thought that that was just the, the, the craziest thing. And that's why I brought it to y'all's attention because I figured whenever y'all looked it up, you would find a lot of that same stuff too. So it's interesting, Sterling, that you didn't see a lot of that because I saw plenty of it. And it could be because of the link you went to. And I'm just now think, considering this. The link you went to from that guy might be from people of the similar viewpoint from that guy. So you went on could a be. thread of like-minded people. Whereas when I just went to Twitter and went, oh, Tom Holland trending, it was a different story. You know, maybe mm. that is why. The the avenue in what you, like, his, like the post he linked could be from another homophobic person because you know if you're that homophobic you're not following non-homophobic people on twitter right true true Uh, so maybe that's why we had different experiences um i i think reasonably speaking i think one reason why all those people are so upset is because they found it a little hot It's a very sexy scene. I thought it was great. I've got zero context, but I loved the outfit he, the outfit he was in. I loved the dancing. And I thought they did a really good job of some just like raw bathroom sex. I thought it was good. I was like, that's a really hot scene. Go Tom Holland. I mean, for the first time I- ever, I'm thinking that's my Spider-Man. well i mean it's just funny like it's interesting for a couple of reasons one because it's not like this is even the first time that anyone's ever seen a man acting as a gay man on on in a film like there's so many movies with gay characters like why is this a new thing why is this a problem for you at this very moment and also like the whole not my spider-man thing were they doing the same thing about Heath Ledger from Brokeback Mountain? Yes. Like, no, not my Joker. Like, well, were they? Because well, I don't remember them ever doing that. It's for that. because he did that before the Joker. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's but always the last still. thing you did, you know? Mm-hmm. So if he had done the Joker and then done that, people would have said that. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's fair. It's, it's recency no, bias. Like, yeah, yeah. But in either case, I'm just like, even when that was like a a, like a new movie i just don't remember that sort of backlash as much for jake gyllenhaal or heath ledger and i could be wrong maybe i just didn't like know that that was a thing happening but just the fact that it feels that was all over the theater me and Justin worked out when that movie came out oh really Mm -hmm. oh yeah people were like really upset about it oh Oh, yeah the the fact that they had the audacity to show that in midland texas I, I think mean, I that's saw fair, it twice Texas, in Midland, yeah. Texas. It's a good movie. Yeah. 
And I guess like, maybe people like people were wanting money back. I vividly remember really? angry old people coming out of the movie going, I can't believe that that was what this was about. I want Did my money back. Did they not know what this was about before? Angry and just angry that they even have the gall to have that in the movie. Like this is a movie that shouldn't even be available. And like, I heard so much, so many angry, so many angry people when they went in there and saw Well, I mean, I guess that's fair. Like I didn't actually see that movie till I was in Illinois. So maybe that's why it's a little bit different (laughs) because I wasn't in Texas when I saw it. But like, um, I don't know. But in either case, also the whole, you know, oh, like, look what look what Tom Holland's doing now that Zendaya's in this movie. And I'm like, do you feel like they're sitting there, like, trying to one-up each other? Like, really? I she probably was giving him tips. They are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just like, she was probably sitting there like, hey, here's what you should do to make this, like, look realistic and believable. And, like, you're actually, like, she was probably being his intimacy coordinator, like, I mean, have you seen Zendaya in anything ever? And also, nobody's being like that about Zendaya being a gay character on Euphoria. Well, <laughs> like, that's infinitely more like the the thing is, is Euphoria. It, it, it's that weird thing with homophobia. Homophobes are typically OK with lesbians. Yep. And yeah, that's and I'm aware of that. But I just think it's silly because I'm like. It's just like you're, you're, it's hypocritical because it's like you care about the one, but not the other. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, and it's, and it's, and it's also just the whole like thing of that's how a lot of also, I think closeted homophobes are, you know, it's okay. I don't have a problem with gay people until one of them is my son or until it's my daughter or until I find out my friend is that way or until somebody at my church is that way Uh, uh, until somebody who is one of my Spider-Man is that way because I have such a fandom for Spider-Man and to even kind of sort of feel like he, somebody tied to Spider-Man Something that I'm such a fan of is doing something gay bothers me because I've got that kind of homophobia. It's like that. It's like that. Like it's in the vicinity sort of thing or like, you know, oh, I'm fine. You know, I don't have a problem uh, with black people, but don't date my daughter. It's that kind of <laughs> right. shit. It's, oh, yeah. It's like I, I, I totally get it because I, I come from a family that is. Very much not okay with that stuff. And just for the sheer fact that in some ways I am slightly genderqueer. I'm not even crazy genderqueer. But the fact that I can look at women's clothes and go, why can't a guy wear that? They're, they're, they're pieces of fabric. Or it's a color. Like, who cares? The fact that I'm even like that, that I'm like, no, nah, a guy can wear a skirt. Doesn't mean anything. Just skirt. Just be his clothing. Who cares? The fact that I have that mentality deeply upsets them. And it is crazy. Because, I mean, for the most part, I still very much 
dress and look aesthetically masculine. But the fact that I'm also okay with painting my nails or wearing a skirt or wearing a women's top sometimes. I've done it all before. It boggles their mind. And to me, I'm like, it's it's literally just clothing. Like, it is, it is fabric. How the fuck is fabric gendered? Because I could wear a skirt that is 90% cotton polyester blend, or I could wear shorts that are 90% cotton polyester blend. It's the same thing. They literally are the same fucking thing. It's just one's a different style. That is it. And it blows my mind that so many people get all up in arms about that. You know, but I mean, I just, I thought, I mean, this is 2023. Can't we just call a hot sex scene a hot sex scene? Like, that's the whole point of the sex scenes to be hot. I mean, hopefully, I mean, sometimes they're used for other reasons, but still, I'm just saying like a hot sex scene is meant to be a hot sex scene. Just enjoy it. It won't kill you. I promise. It might actually bring you a little bit of joy in your life. So just uh, do it. It's fine. You know? And I also, I, I, I think it's crazy, like, when people get mad about Spider-Man like that, when they're like, oh, not my Spider-Man, you're watching a man run around in skin-tight latex. It's a little ironic when they're all mad about the something else that's homoerotic. There is nothing more homoerotic than right. superheroes. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, and who was it? Uh, I think it was, yeah. Andrew Garfield, other Spider-Man who was like, I think it'd be cool to see like a, a gay Spider-Man portrayed on screen and you know, all of these things. Even on top of that, Andrew Garfield kissed Ryan Reynolds at an award show. Yeah. Because they came up with a joke that if either one of them won, or if Andrew Garfield won or something like that, that they would kiss each other and not their significant others as a joke. Because this is when mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield was with Emma Stone. And, but somebody else won, but they then decided they were going to do it anyway in the background. I think or I think it's actually the year Emma Stone won. I don't think they were together still. So I think people thought it was like, oh, just to make him feel better that his girlfriend or his ex just won, I'm going to kiss him. Like, I think people thought that's what it was. But I, yeah, I think I, I know you're talking about. It could be. I would feel better if Ryan Reynolds kissed me. <laughs> right. I, my day would be better. <laughs> I, so I get yeah. that, I guess. But like that's it that's the funny thing about it is it's like okay that's your Spider-Man there too. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think I mean he's he's kind of addressed before how like cuz people have asked him like you know what his sexuality is and I don't even remember quite what he said but he was just kind of like um he something to the effect of like well I've never you know been in love with a man but I'm not saying that I never would be 
or something to that effect. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Just crazy. On top of that, it's a fucking show. You don't. The crazy thing is that these people don't realize you also don't have to watch it. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting because like when, yeah, Justin, you talked about like the link that you got and yeah, it's, I think Sterling might be right about like the, the thread of people on it. were just all very like-minded with it because I looked this up just now and the, one of the first things I saw was people are praising Tom Holland for his performance in this, in this show. So it is so crazy. The different takes that you're getting just depending on what source you're hearing it from, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It just, I was totally alarmed. So yeah, I just thought that <laughs> I would at least bring that to y'all's attention. Cause I just thought it was, it would make for, something interesting to talk about yeah yeah, it was just um it's just amazing how people just are so stuck in their ways with that stuff and just so unwilling to accept that even somebody acting that you're a fan of bothers you to that degree like how could you lose all respect for somebody who's showing their acting range, you should be more. Right. You should be, you should respect him more for the fact that he can do so, so, so many different roles and still be believable in something that is completely different from what you saw him as in a superhero, as a superhero, you should be proud of him. You know, you should be like, man, look at the range that this guy is showing. But instead, we're, you know, we're still here. (laughs) And it just feels like we just can't progress past it. Why are we still here? Yeah. But 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 I'm but I imagine a lot of that is older generation people as well. Like older people who just can't um, get past certain things like that. I think more of the younger people I saw posting stuff was just jokes or saying how awesome he was or Tom Holland is everything or something like that. But, you know, the it was the older people that I saw reacting in hate most of the time. Yeah, it's your boomers. It's your Gen X. It's millennials are a little bit split for the most yeah. part. When you get into breakdowns, demographic breakdowns, millennials more often than not are OK with it. But, yeah, it's your millennials, it's your Gen X, and it's your boomers. They're all going to flip their shit about it. And see, yeah. I, I didn't hear about this before now. The, the thing I thought that you were mentioning about, like, what you heard about him was him recently saying how, how in a sense, like, he hates Hollywood because it's just, like, this scary thing and how this role that he just did for this show, like, completely broke him and just the way Hollywood is with stuff. I thought that's what you had seen. That's the thing I had seen about him this week. So I guess uh, different things, but, and I feel bad for him too, because like he is a very talented actor and I just feel like, I, I think we've talked about this before. He just chooses like projects that are not good. 
<laughs> and that's why I haven't seen the crowded room, but it's not getting great reviews from what I hear. And I just like, it sucks mm. so much that like he puts so much effort and he's getting praise for his performance in this, but the show itself is just getting terrible reviews. And I well, feel like that's been a lot of his projects except for Spider-Man. With one thing with TV reviews that people need to understand, most professional TV reviewers are basing their entire review on a show based on the first three episodes. Yeah, true. More often than not, when they send out screeners, they'll send you the first three episodes like a month before it comes out for you to review. You know? And for a project like this, yeah, that might be the first third of a season, but that, that's typically what they're basing reviews on. It's the first three episodes. Yeah. And now you do have some reviewers that wait and they watch all of it before they do anything. It's it's up to the reviewer themselves, but that's kind of the standard. Um, I'll say this. A lot of the things I read about the show, people are liking it, though. The in general people that are watching it are liking that. And it could be that the first three episodes are just weird and you don't get an overall grasp of what the whole thing will be in the first three episodes. And then maybe by like episode, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, or whatever, you're like, oh, the whole picture is visible. Yeah, by that's then. fair. You know, you're right. Cause there's like a 90% audience score. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because like, like a show like The Wire, The Wire is very weird those first couple of episodes. Just in that regard of they just throw you into this Baltimore and go, hey, catch up. And it can be a little bit daunting if you're just going into it blind to really catch what's going on. But as the show goes, it becomes then one of the greatest television shows ever made. It just, there is that adjustment period that makes things a little tough sometimes. Uh, and, you know, that could be the case with this. But that's also, that's TV as a, as a whole. That's why it sometimes sucks when a show gets canceled like halfway through the first season. It sometimes takes a season or two of a TV show before it finds its audience or before its audience finds it. You know, so I mean, hopefully, hey, hopefully this is good press for this show because Tom and that's another thing that sucks is Tom Holland really actually can't do anything to defend the show or to talk about the show right now because of the the Screen Actors Strike. He cannot because it could be viewed as promotion. And that would break strike rules. You know, he might be able to go out on his private Twitter and just be like, you're all fucking dumb for being all mad about it. That might be fine. But if he references the show, that could be considered promotion and could get him in trouble with the Screen Actors Guild. You know, he also might just not feel the need to defend it or anything like that because the people that are all mad at it, he just like, yeah, they can fuck off. Who cares? Mm-hmm. So that's fair. Too. Yeah. Anyway, you guys ready to talk about our TV show or our TV shows, our fucking movies for tonight? Yeah. Yep.
Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight, we are going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with two movies, Joyride and Hard Feeling? What the fuck is the other one called? No, no hard, hard feelings. feelings. No hard feelings. I came in vastly underprepared. Uh, we will go recommendations and scores in... Uh, we will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-centric section with both movies separately to allow, with time codes in the description of both the video and audio formats to allow you to jump around if you so need to. And with all that, let's let's go with the movie I fucked up on first, No Hard Feelings. Uh, spoiler-free thoughts on that. Um, Justin, go. All right, so... The first of the raunchy comedy doubleheader. And I would say overall, um, I didn't hate this. I, th- I think it was all right. I, I was all right. I was, <clears throat> I think I had a, a, a decent time watching it. Excuse me. Um, I think that this is definitely one of those where having the star power of Jennifer Lawrence definitely helps this. Um, There are a lot of things in this where, especially when the plot is getting to its resolution. And, and and, I mean, that, that can be said about some of these comedy movies. Like, you know, that certain things are going to have to happen and you know, kind of that there's got to be these sour moment between these people. And you kind of understand what a lot of the realizations are going to be. So with this, you kind of know where the journey's going to wind up. But I think it's it's all about the journey, not the destination. And I do think that when I looked at the chemistry with J-Law and Andrew Barth Feldman, I think they were funny together for the most part. Not everything landed with me, but I thought that their interactions with each other were were pretty good. I think even when the dialogue wasn't perfect or when even when some of the jokes doesn't land, I mean, J-Law is a star for a reason. You know, she just has a way about doing things. She just has um, a comedic timing and she just has a way to keep you invested. And as good as she was, I have to say, I was surprised by Andrew Barth Feldman. I thought he was actually a surprise. I thought that he acted very well. I thought he fit this role um, perfectly. I thought that he just was perfectly this character that he was playing, this very socially awkward kind of in his shell Percy character. So I thought that that, um, that that worked out pretty well. So I really think more than the story, it was them. It was the leads that really kind of carried this to to the finish line. And I did laugh at some parts. And, and, And the script, I wouldn't say, is bad or anything like that. They did, there were a lot of full circle moments, uh, that happened at the end of it where they set up all these things 
and then you sort of have all these different things paying off at the end. Um, did all the payoffs land? Not quite. But I think that it, it, it was funny enough. It had enough heart. Um, and it was, I, I guess, it, it, and it was, you know, entertaining enough to where I wouldn't tell anybody to avoid this. Um, though the premise is <laughs> is kind of crazy. Um, parents coming up with this as a solution for their kids is crazy. So you do have to suspend some disbelief because the premise is just, <laughs> is kind of wild. But I think where it winds up and the message that it has at the end is fine. And I do think overall J-Law helps to make this work because, and she kind of reminded me of why she's so good, because I wouldn't say that this is like one of her best movies or anything, but she definitely keeps this afloat when the comedy doesn't. Heather, what about you? Now I, I do agree with you um, that, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is, I mean, she's very talented and she's a solid actress. And um, what is, uh, what is the guy's name? Andrew Barth Feldman, I think. Yes. Um, Yeah. Andrew Barth Feldman. I do think that he, um, he was a really quirky, good character. Like the way he played it was really good and well done. Um, But I actually like, I actually have to disagree with you on this movie, like, I don't know if I'm in the minority here, but I actually just really wasn't feeling this one. Like, I think, I think it suffered from the problem of, I don't know. Like, I I actually just felt like a lot of the comedy felt a little bit too forced to me. Like it felt like they were trying really so hard to get the joke. And then the jokes never really landed. Um, I think that like, it's almost like this weird, like it it feels caught between like a, one of those like Netflix rom-coms that you would just see. That's like kind of like a Netflix original rom-com and sort of like a mid two thousands comedy movie for me. Like, I don't know. It just, it didn't really feel fresh or new. And I just, I, I found unfortunately Jennifer Lawrence to be like, she was just trying too hard. I think she was trying too hard in her scenes, like, which is weird because I mean, we've seen Jennifer Lawrence be funny. We've seen her in movies where she's very funny and she pulls off the comedy, but I just, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, maybe the script didn't service her well here, but I actually thought that um, Andrew Barth Feldman was funnier I thought he was like a more charming character in this one for some reason. Um, and I think the the problem with the movie or kind of what it felt like to me is the, the movie didn't really seem to have the charm that you feel like it should for like, I don't really know if it's necessarily a rom-com movie fully, but it just, it kind of like lacked the charm that you need to pull that rom- romance part off. I think with a movie like this. I don't know. I, for some reason, I just didn't really, I, I wasn't really feeling this one. There was just not a lot of parts that I found myself laughing at. Um, I do agree that the message at the end of it was really good though. I, I think that 
when they got there to the point they were trying to make that it was, you know, it, it made sense. And I do the way that this movie sort of like ends the note that it ends on. I appreciated. So I did like that piece of it. But um, and yeah, I, the fact that Andrew Barth Feldon kind of came out of nowhere, like I had not seen him in anything else before and kind of being on the same level as Jennifer Lawrence, I think is pretty impressive. But I actually just think he outshined her in this movie. I guess maybe like I think in the moments when Jennifer Lawrence is doing the more serious parts of it and it's the more, you know, that that side of things with this movie, that's really good. But for whatever reason, none of the comedy bits that she was doing really landed for me. So, man, I don't know. I don't disagree with Jason much on these things. <laughs> but I don't know. I just I feel opposite of you on this one for some reason. So, yeah, I, I was not a big fan of this movie. I'm going to take everything you both said. I'm going to raise you. Hey, I had a miserable time at this movie. <laughs> I was oh boy. really bored and I did not think it was funny. I thought a lot of it was forced. I thought a lot of it was gross. And I thought a lot of it just didn't work. I think there's a good premise hidden in there. And I think you make couple of changes you actually get a good movie a good story but for the most part this movie missed on almost everything to me i think i maybe laughed at one of the jokes and i thought really about only one or two scenes were good in this movie i was flat out miserable during this when I bought my ticket, I was the only person in the theater. When I showed up, about a third of the theater was full. So a bunch of people had bought them after I, I did. And I thought I was like Mugatu from Zoolander, that everybody else was on crazy pills. Because everyone else in that theater was laughing throughout this movie. And I am sitting there in awe because I'm like, did we just watch the same scene? What are you <laughs> laughing at? I did not understand. There was that much of a, of like a differential. I was thinking maybe they all got Sour Patch Kids that happened to be laced with drugs. And because I did not get Sour Patch Kids... I was seeing a different movie than they were. <laughs> but I was not laughing at this movie. This movie to me felt like a weird spiritual sequel to like the early 2000s movie, The Sweetest Thing, that we talked about on this podcast before. Of just a bunch of nonsense. That they were like, yeah, it's a sexual, raunchy comedy. And I'm like... It's sexual and it's raunchy, but we vastly differ on our definition of the words of what is a comedy. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Justin. I truly am. 
because you're the one that suggested we do this. So I'm glad you at least enjoyed it. <laughs> but I want you oh, to no. know. Well, golly, I didn't say it was great. I just said it was all right. Y'all acted no. like I said this is the greatest movie of all time. No, I'm, I'm not even. I'm not even making a <laughs> That's bit. That's what there. I heard. I'm not even doing a bit. I genuinely am saying. I mean, I'm damn, glad. Why you do y'all got to go to such an extreme? I'm just saying. I'm glad you liked it. Sincerely, I am glad you liked it. But you have made an enemy of me of me, sir. Because I am mad that you made me watch this. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, is it worse than the Pray for the Devil? It's not. Oh, fuck. You're right. Justin, you were already my enemy. You made me watch Pray for the Devil. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm like, really? You thought it was that bad? Wow. Okay. It's not. It, that, that's fair. It is not Pray for the Devil bad. But it was bad. I was. I was not a happy camper. This movie is. What was the runtime? Like an hour and 52 minutes or uh, four hours, 52 minutes, something like that. Something like that. It's the longest movie that's ever been made. The longest. And you feel every minute of it. At one point, I felt like seconds were going by. For the span of like a week. Because just I was not caught off guard by anything. It, it was to me very flat. It was unoriginal. And I just. I did not click on it. And to me there were times. It reminded me a little bit too much of licorice pizza. That also made me uncomfortable. And I don't think the movie wanted you to feel uncomfortable about those things based on the way it was presenting some of those scenes. Now, I think at times it was. But I think there are times in this movie, they want you to be okay with it. And I wasn't. And so any of the jokes they made during those times didn't land at all. But... Oh, that's all I'll say right now. Recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yep. Recommendations and scores. The funny thing is, is I was serious. I really, I was, I'm happy you enjoyed it, Justin. I am. I'm glad you at least enjoyed it more than I did. Like the, uh, the, the funny thing is, is I was, I really was not making a bit out of that. I, I, I genuinely did mean that because I'm, I'm, I'm glad somebody did. There's three of us. I'm glad somebody did. It was not me. But then it also makes me question things because you did not like Kroll. How did you not like Kroll? But you kind of liked this. I don't, I will never understand you two. Never. Uh, <laughs> I can say I, the I say same it. about you. You crushed Parasite, <laughs> and that's like that was like the <laughs> best movie to come out that year. So sometimes I don't get y'all either. It's it's that's but that's like the great thing about this. <laughs> and then we weirdly all come together sometimes, just all in unison. 
Uh, yep. Somehow we all loved Marry Me and like we were like, but why? We don't understand why we loved it, but we were all like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I wish I'd watched that again instead of this. Um, now I'll start this. No, I don't recommend it. Not even on streaming. Wait till it's on TBS and watch the edited for TV version of it. Maybe that'll be better. I'll give this 32. Very good arrangements of Maneater out of 100. Justin, what about you? Yeah, I think it's and it's interesting that you said that everybody in the that 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 you were in the theater with was laughing. So I think that's kind of a microcosm of what I'm going to say. Like, obviously, comedy can be a very subjective thing. And, you know, and that's the thing about a comedy. It's made or broken on whether or not you find what the characters, what the premise is, if you find the story funny. So if you're not feeling the premise and you're not really feeling what they're doing, it's it's very hard for a comedy to start unfunny and then wind up digging itself out of a hole. I never hear anybody say that. Oh, it was terrible to start, but boy, by the time we got to the second act, I was having the best time of my life. Normally, that's if you're true. not feeling the flavor of it to start, and that's going to be kind of what it's presenting to you throughout, except we're just going to go a deep dive into this style, then you're probably going to have the same feeling throughout. But the theater I was in was similar to yours. People were laughing, and I didn't laugh as much as them, but they were. They seemed to be enjoying it. So I think that on some level, I can at least recommend it. I think it's a fine date movie. You know, it's one of those movies you go out and it's, you know, it's, it's, is it going to be memorable? Is it like the, I think the movie we're about to talk about in a second is way better. Um, but like that, but it, it, was it okay? Yeah. I thought it was an okay. All right. You know, date movie that that's all I can say about it. Honestly, I think what keeps it, I think it's okay. It's all right. But I think it would have been really good if it took a few more chances. I think it plays, I think honestly, for it being a raunchy comedy, I thought it played it too safe. I thought things wind up a little too formulaic. And that's what keeps it from being a great movie. But I thought it was all right, you know? But it's an I movie. So I can recommend it at least on that. I think people, I think most people will laugh at some of the jokes. And I think that uh, J-Law and um, uh, I forget the other, Andrew, did good. I thought that they did well together. I thought they were good enough together to at least keep the ship afloat. So I'll go ahead and recommend it. We'll go um, We'll go 65 uh, finger traps that become penis traps out of 100. Oh, that fucking scene. Uh, Heather, what about you? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't recommend it. Like, I just, 
And the thing is, it's interesting too, like, you know, with you Sterling saying like, well, I'm glad somebody liked it because oddly enough, like the reviews for this on both sides, audience and Rotten Tomatoes is like pretty decent on both sides of it. Like a lot more people liked this than I guess I expected from what I get out of it. So I was actually kind of like, did I miss something? Like, I just, I don't, I, it just wasn't clicking with me. You know what I mean? But there, you're right. I mean, there's a, I'm, hey, a lot of people really did enjoy this movie. I think it's got like a 70 from the Rotten Tomato side and then like a 80 something actually, like a high 80s for the audience. So a lot of people liked this movie, which is just weird for me because I feel like, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of, a lot of bad comedies and bad rom-coms that I've actually liked. <laughs> so I was just, I think it just surprised me that I didn't like this more because, and it's also Jennifer Lawrence is great. Like she's a good actress. You know what I mean? So I guess I just, I, it's surprising to me that I didn't like this more than I did, but there's just, I feel like it is one of those where they tried a lot of things and none of those things gelled none of them actually felt like they worked um in this movie and that's the i think the biggest thing with why it falls so flat but no i i mean if you're gonna watch it i would say just wait like i mean i've seen worse b-rated netflix comedy movies 100 percent, i have seen worse movies than this for sure but I've also seen like a lot better storylines, even similar enough that were done just slightly better. Um, and I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that it, it missed the mark on what it was trying to do. And yeah, so I, I don't, I can't for my own sake, like I don't recommend it, but if you watch it and you like it, Good. I just, for me, I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's the greatest. It's the best J-Law movie. It's the best comedy movie. It's not the best anything, you know? So I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really say watch it. Um, so no, I don't really recommend it. I'm going to give it, um, I mean, 40 points solely for the lovely angelic voice and piano playing of Andrew Barth Feldman out of a hundred. You went lower than I thought you would Heather. I know I'm, I'm like questioning everything about myself. Like I just feel like typically this is something I would have liked more. And you know, I usually like the fact that I'm agreeing with you more than Jason is really throwing me off. That's a very rare occasion, but here we are. What did you give it, Justin? 65. 65. 65, okay. I don't remember what I gave it. I think You said a 32. I was about to say, I think I gave it a 32. So if I did give it a 32, if I didn't, it's now a 32. Um, that brings this movie in at a 46 for its official cinema, uh, cinema score. Uh, spoilers? Yeah. Yep. Spoilers! I like two things in this movie. The one joke I laughed at 
is there was there's that scene when she's doing like that strip dance and she bends over in front of him and she's like slap my ass and then he just kicks her over I did laugh at that that was kind of funny <laughs> that was when he just funny. kicked her uh and then there was uh the the other scene that I liked is I liked that scene where he was singing Man Eater and playing the piano. I really enjoyed that scene. I was I was really surprised by right. his voice and the command he had, and I thought that was incredibly good. I really, really dug that scene. Uh, outside of that, I did not really like much else in this movie. Um, so what I'll do real quick is I'll I'll say what I would have changed. Because like I said, I think there's a good premise here. So the whole idea or conceit of this movie is she needs to sleep with him so she can get a car because she needs a car. I think they should have taken that element out of it. I think they should have made it a befriend our son, get him to come out of his shell, which that was part of what they wanted but they they leaned heavily on the emphasis of they need to fuck and i think that's where i was not on board but if they had just been like hey befriend our son you know get him to come out of his shell get him to drink get him to do drugs just get him to fucking go like live his life for a little bit you know and all that shit i think it would have been a better movie if they had left that you need to fuck our son part of it out of it. Cause I think that that aspect of yeah. it and how desperate she was to just fuck him. The whole movie played desperate, weak and gross to me. And I think when you don't sign up for the in general conceit of the movie, that hurts it, especially as a comedy. Yeah. Cause you're not going to laugh at the jokes that are based around the conceit of the movie. And I think you still could have done a lot of things they did in this movie, but I just think it would have been better. I think it would have been better if, uh, you know, they still could have gone to the bar and drank there. They still could have done the whole skinny dipping scene because it could be like in a non-sexual way, just like a, Hey, you need to fucking, Get out of your shell. You need to just do something crazy. Uh, you still could have had the prom scene where they like get dressed up to go to dinner and all this other shit. Like they were going to prom. You still could have had that because they still could have bonded over the fact that they never went to prom. Because in that scene, when they go, they do that whole prom thing, it, it's fine. And then you could have that girl come up to him and be like, hey, oh my God, you're going to Princeton and all this other stuff. And then she could have been like, oh, you need to fuck that girl. And he'd be like, oh, no, I don't know. I don't have a chance. I don't have a... And she'd be like, no, you need to fuck that girl. And then he could have, like, she could have helped him, like, coached him and all this other shit. And they could have gone to the party. And then they could have hooked up or something. And they could have just kept it as they're just being friends. And she's trying to just loosen him up. But then he could still find out that she wasn't friends with him because, you know, she actually liked him. And all this other stuff. And they still could have had that falling out like they did in this movie. But they just could have kept it away from the, you know, I'm 32 and I need to fuck a 19-year-old desperately. 
And you could have cut all yeah. of that out. That I think was the biggest hindrance to this movie. Yeah. And then I think the ending works even better in that instance. Because yeah. in the movie, like they do flip out because she's like, no, I need to fuck him and all this other stuff. But I think the scene that really grossed me out the most is is that Princeton party that she went to looking for him because he's in bed with that other girl and she's running around like she is genuinely jealous. <laughs> yeah. That he might be sleeping with someone else. Not that it would ruin the deal and she's worried or anything like that. She's running around like she's jealous. And that really creeped me the fuck out. And I did not like that. And it made me very uncomfortable for the rest of the movie. Well, and I think you're, you're right too about what you said with like, when, when they're making this deal, like when she's making the deal with the parents and she says that line about like, you want me to date him or date him, meaning have sex with him. And she just says, yes. Like it almost sounded like it meant either one. Like it just, it was not clear what that meant. And it, it felt like uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character took that to mean, okay, so yes, you want me to have sex with him. That's what you want me to do. And then that just became her goal for the entire movie. And that's, that's I think, where it kind of, they should have changed that a little bit. Kind of like what you said, like have the same type of premise, but don't make it to be where she feels like she has to go and sleep with this guy um, to get what she, you know, needs to get or get to get the car. Like, yeah, I think that it felt like it set this weird tone with her actions that it didn't need to to do. So, yeah, I, I agree with that statement because I kind of was feeling similar in that way, too. Well, with that, I think because my big thing with this is say he had slept with that other girl. Okay. You turn around and go to the parents and you're like, hey, he fucked that girl because of me. Give me the damn car. I did my job because he is confident and he's out there now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's so weird with that conceit of all of this shit. And like I said, whenever your premise is built around something that I inherently find to be gross and 90% of your jokes in this movie are built around that. It just did not work for me. Jennifer Lawrence for so much of this movie felt uncomfortably desperate and not in the in too much of the movie doesn't play. Like I'm desperate for the money to save my house or the car to do this. It is strictly becomes too much that she's desperate to fuck this kid for these other things. And that type of desperation, the way she goes about it in the movie just really kind of skeezed me out. And so 
none of those things felt like she was being sexy. None of those things felt like she's being funny. It just felt like a bunch of gross forced things. That I did not think that this movie needed in that regard. And then like Justin said, it doesn't even really take any chances because this is all shit we've seen in a bunch of other movies on top of all that. Like it's still just a bunch of other shit. So what is really the point in a lot of this? And I think that that's what really kind of bothered me just the entire time. And on top of that, like I said, I didn't even really laugh. And in a comedy, if you're not laughing, you're not going to connect with the movie. You're not going to enjoy the movie. You're going to be miserable for like one hour and 43 minutes. Uh, Heather, what about you? Yeah, I I do agree with your sentiment with that. Um, I did think that Jennifer Lawrence's like dynamic with um, Kyle Mooney, who's not in this very much, but the the scene when she meets him and their kind of dynamic and back and forth, I did think that was pretty funny for the most part. So it's there are moments where you see it and and you're it's kind of amusing, but yeah, I do think that that I I do feel like that is the problem is like. I really, I just didn't like the age gap, which I understand it's a huge part of what the the movie is about. But if that is the case and it was like, you know, the ad was like, no, we want somebody that's early to mid twenties latest. Right. And then she tells them, oh, but I'm like 32. And the fact that they're still okay with it, but the fact that they were like, that's fine. Yes. Have sex with our son, which is kind of weird. Like pimping out their son like it's what it kind of felt like for a minute but like I don't know it just I do think that 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 probably is why it kind of just doesn't really click in the way that they think because yeah Jennifer Lawrence is she's doing all of this like physical comedy acting and but it feels all over the place with like how like yeah it's it's like she's a she's a confident smart like she can be a seductive woman like we've seen her in other movies where she does that and she's like flirty and she's sexy and it works but in this movie yeah it just felt very much like I'm on a mission so I just got to say the things to get to the end goal of it (laughs) and so it felt like she was just like yeah like she just kind of the joke that um what I forget the kid's name in the movie but yeah Andrew Barth Feldman like his um Percy yeah like the joke that they made at the beginning too where he like is completely convinced that he's been kidnapped like that was actually kind of funny too where he's just like uh listen I've got this mace and like you're trying to kidnap me just had no idea what was going on but I'm thinking about it and I'm like if I'm him and if I'm like this guy who keeps to myself and I'm not used to girls just coming up and trying to talk to me and whatever and she's just like, yeah, come on, let me take you home and like, give me your phone. You don't need your phone. And like doing all the things that she was doing, I would probably think the same thing. I'd be like, this woman is trying to kidnap me and I don't know what's going to happen. 
Like I, it was funny. That was a funny part. I was like, yeah, I get it. I completely get why you think you're being kidnapped right now. But because, but it was also because of how, like, yeah, I guess what Sterling said, like how kind of desperate she was sort of playing it where, you know, she's like, (laughs) when she gets sprayed with the mace and she's like, you know, her eyes are burning and she's like drenched and all this stuff. And she's like, I just still want to go out with you. And he's like, okay, you want to go on a date? She's like, yeah, let me change right now. Like just very, everything she did was so aggressively like out of place because especially with a, a, a kid like that, who, you know, they're, they're playing it in this movie. Like he's very to himself and he doesn't get out there. He doesn't talk to girls and whatever. I just feel like she didn't need to play it desperate. Like she wouldn't need to play it desperate for somebody who like you don't think probably feels like they get much attention anyway, if that makes sense. Like she could have been a little bit more coy and a little bit more like just playful with him in a natural way. I think maybe that's what it is. Like it felt like everything she was doing to try to like flirt with this kid or, you know, seduce him or convince him to like go out with her. It just felt very like unnatural how she was going about it and I think that's yeah that that might be what it was like it wasn't like this natural flowing conversation and and I think part of it was her character was like I'm just trying to get this done so I can get my car you know and I think part of it too was she didn't have anything to go off of with him because everything he just was not picking up on the cues that she was trying to like hit on him and flirt with him and he was just like being very matter of fact about everything And I think that might've been part of it too, where she's like, okay, this is getting old. You're not getting what I'm doing. So I need to be a lot more aggressively obvious about what I'm doing. And I get that too. I get that that could have been part of it, but it's, yeah, she just plays it in a very oddly aggressive way at all times. And like, kind of like that party you were talking about, the Princeton party. Yeah. Like the fact that, she did feel like she was genuinely jealous, but it was like when she's going through this party looking for him and she thinks like, you know, he's locked in that room with the girl. If she just like runs head first into that wall to break the wall. And I'm like, what was, why was this necessary for like a kid that you supposedly aren't into in that way? And like, yeah, it just, it felt like, why are you doing these very extreme things? Like it just, it felt, out of place how she was playing it I guess um I do agree I think my favorite scene of the movie was in the restaurant when Percy's playing the piano and singing and it was a a lovely rendition and it made sense for um sort of their relationship specifically to do that song and I thought that was really well done and I actually that was the point in the movie when I was like maybe this movie is about to turn around maybe this movie is about to get better Um, but kind of like something you said earlier, Jastin, about like, if you aren't really like vibing with the movie from the beginning with the type of humor it is, it's, it's not like by the end, you're going to think any differently. And you're right. Like you're right. That's a good way to assess if you feel like you're going to like a comedy because yeah, even the beginning when, you know, she's getting her car taken away and she's trying to like convince this guy that she does love him and whatever it is so he won't take her car like none of that played for me like a funny bit like part of me was like well that feels extreme (laughs) so like that's kind of how I felt throughout the whole movie so I think that's accurate to say Justin of like if you don't like the first little 
bits of comedy you're seeing, you're probably just, you're not probably going to be at the end and be like, this is the most hilarious movie I've ever seen. So that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I think, um, I just wish, yeah, that the age gap wasn't what it was. Like it didn't need to be, I don't know. Like, and I'm not saying that's like a crazy age gap, but it kind of is because it's the idea that he is very barely legal <laughs> and she's like, all right, cool. I got to sleep with this kid and all of that. And, you know, in the movie, obviously they didn't sleep together, but it's the fact that she would have, she would have done it if the opportunity had presented itself and it didn't go the way it did with when they tried, she would have had sex with him. And I just, it, it just, it's a little bit too, you know, close for comfort in the sense of their age gap just kind of bugs me as well. Um, but yeah, so that that's, it's just the things that they tried to do. And, and I'm wondering too, like if, if their age gap wasn't that like maybe, maybe she was somebody in her mid twenties or whatever it was. I wonder if it would have bothered me as much, you know, or if she was just like, Oh, she's 21 or he, and he's 19 or, anything closer in age i'm curious if i would have felt the same way about their relationship but um yeah i don't know like and i i've seen interviews with the two of them talking about this movie and they do have good chemistry like they really do like you they play off each other well you could tell they have fun like when they're doing the press stuff together and i just kind of wish i would have seen a little bit more of that and i get that they're characters so um, Percy's very like unsure of himself and very unconfident in in who he is and so you're not going to see that playful back and forth with her as much because he's that's just not his character but I don't know like I just feel like I could have I could have enjoyed a little bit more of their chemistry together like a little bit more chemistry between them as these characters I think would have been a little helpful um, and again, not even like romantic chemistry even, but just as like friends, because by the end of the movie, when you realize all they're going to be is friends and, you know, whatever, it works. Because I believe that. I buy that. They're comfortable with each other at that point. They're joking about certain things. And you buy that as like a genuine friendship and relationship that they have. And if we could have seen just a little bit more of that, I think, in the movie, maybe that would have, it would have felt better. But yeah, I, I feel like it was. It felt like a lot of desperate attempts to try to um, seduce this kid just to get something she wanted. But like her way of going about it, it was like obviously she's somebody who knows how to get what she wants, and she's somebody who knows like she's confident in herself, and she's had a lot of relationships in the past, so she's a pretty confident person from what you could tell. But the way that she's playing these attempts to him so desperately makes it feel like she's not confident. So I kind of get what you mean, Sterling, about like it felt like kind of unsexy with the way she was doing anything. And I mean, people should have loved that scene with her at the beach when she's, you know, got no clothes on. But it was such a weirdly like done scene. It was just weird because it was like, you only see her like without her clothes on when she's walking out of the water to go and like start a fight with somebody <laughs> like, you know, and then she gets like punched and all these things and you're just like, Oh, this is okay. 
this is what we're getting when we're seeing J law in her true form or whatever. Like that's, that's the scene that we're getting it with. It just felt very weird to me, but yeah, I, I agree mostly with what you're saying, Sterling about just the, the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness of just how, um, how aggressively she was going after this 19 year old kid. Um, and it was just a very weird way to go about it, but yeah, that's, that's all I got for now. Justin, what about you? Cool. Cool. So I don't know. I, I, I hear you guys, but I guess I just interpreted things and saw the characterizations and what was happening a little bit differently. Um, when I was introduced uh, to J-Law's character, this didn't strike me as somebody who is good at connections or relationships. So to me, it was like par for the course that maybe to a normal person would go, well, I don't need to just desperately try to have sex with this kid, you know, let's try to let me try to cultivate, get him comfortable, stuff like that. Try to connect with him. And then maybe we can do this thing. And if it happens, it happens. But that obviously wasn't this character. This character was somebody who we saw her using other guys. You know, we saw her, you know, sitting there trying to manipulate the the one guy who was picking up the car and going, you know, I think about you and you know, that whole monologue, the point of that now, now was it uh, belly laughter? Not quite, but the point of that was to show you kind of her manipulating him. And then another guy who she's sleeping with comes out doing front squats and stuff. So I think, and then, you know, there was the drunk guy when they were at the bar who came up and said, as soon as I said I loved her, she ran away and she didn't want any part of that and stuff like that. So this was a character who was having trouble making connections. She didn't really, she wasn't good at it. I got to disagree. She wasn't any good at making these connections and things like that. And then that's compounded by the story we got about the father and all of that kind of stuff. So to me, this was a character that struggled with that. So I think her just making a beeline for the sex and focusing on that and being like, that's what I got to do to get this car. So that's what I'm going to do. And then her trying all these things and they're not working her just being subtle about it and being like, well, I look like Jennifer Lawrence. This will be easy. But I liked how it wasn't easy. I like how it wasn't just, oh, you're hot, so I'm going to have sex with you. The kid was just different. And the parents were, were, were always fixing things for him. And that was just another theme of it, too. The parents were the ones who set this up. You know, they set this up. They agreed to this. Why? Because... They were those kind of parents that are always trying to fix his problem, always trying to. And, and what did that that character have to do at the end? He even had to talk to them and say, hey, I got to succeed or fail on my own. You can't fix everything for me. You can't just make up a girlfriend for me and have her come and all of this kind of stuff. And it's just going to 
solve all of my social issues and stuff like that. So I think that all of those characterizations were good. It, it, it Her being desperate and all of that stuff to me was on, was on course with what they set up that this character was. And then that, and, and then the funniness of it was those situations not working. I did laugh at the beginning of this, whenever she was, you know, when he thought he was being kidnapped, because even I was sitting there going, okay, she's got this big old van. She's talking about, oh, you could just put your bike in the van. It totally plays like that. And so whenever he does the maze thing, I thought that all that was good. You know, I did laugh at some of that because it did totally seem like he was being kidnapped. So I thought the misinterpretation of that was good. And, and I agree with you saying when you said that um, that Andrew Barth Feldman was was better than her in this movie. I agree with that. I, I think he stole this movie. I think if it wasn't for his kind of his awkwardness and quirkiness towards her. But what I think I loved about his performance the most is that even though it was not happening the way that. Uh, that J-Law or J-Law character wanted it to with, I'm just going to get him to have sex with me and that's it. What was happening though, is that if you kind of pay attention to what's happening, he was coming out of his shell. It was starting to work. You know, he did want to go to that Princeton party, which was something that he would have never went to. uh, If you know, if we look at early Percy in the film, so just spending that time with him. And even though she wasn't getting to the goal, which was to have sex with him and bring him out of his shell and everything his, the misguided parents thought the kid needed, you know? Um, But what was happening though, was all these interactions were kind of working for him. He was coming out of his shell more. He was started to express himself more. He got on the piano and sung the song. So, to me, that that those were the elements and the parts of the story that were kind of working. It wasn't working. I yeah, maybe the sex thing and her trying to have sex with this with this nineteen year old. Yes, that could I could see how that could be alarming. But I guess what I liked was that the narrative didn't make that work. It didn't work. That was misguided. That was wrong in this narrative and in this movie and how it all turned out. So maybe that was why it was more okay with me. If that was the point. And then finally, when we did get to the sex scene with them, I thought it was really funny how he, it it became, it wasn't even this thing of, I want to have sex with you. Like it was kind of like him in a way trying to belittle her because he felt lied to and everything like that. So he's like, you know, I'm just going to get my nut or whatever. And you're going to have to sit here. You know, it felt kind of like he was doing it out of spite at that, at that moment, because once he found out the truth of this and that she was colluding with his parents and stuff. So I thought that all of that, but I, what I thought was uh, funny about that was that, you know, He does that. It's like two seconds. And he's like, did you come too?" And then she's like, no, like, I I don't know. I thought that I thought they were good together, man. I I laughed at them together. I thought that they 
made the scenes funnier, some of the scenes funnier than they had any right to be. And I agree with the piano scene. I thought that that was great when he got on the piano and did the man eater song. And like another story element about that is that's what she was, you know, Uh, and a part of that is because of what happened with her father and stuff like that. So there was this thing with her and connecting with men that she couldn't do because she didn't have that connection. So see, all of that made sense to me. None of that bothered me. I was following all of that stuff. That was the hurdle that this character had to overcome. Um, but to the to the parts that I'm talking about, about them not taking any chances and stuff like that, I just wish that maybe we could have dove into that more. I think that the movie was so busy trying to be funny and trying to do the R-rated raunchy stuff that maybe some of those deeper characterizations we could have went into, we didn't get. And I think that just the last half, you know, the, the third act of the movie plays out very predictably. And even though they're doing a lot of full circle moments, it felt like this movie got full circle happy at the end of it. It was like the dog that, when you say cocaine, the dog barks. Well, that dog gets adopted at the end. The, the you know, the little chandelier-like uh, baby toy that she brought them, that came back and had something at the end. Even down to her being on the car and him driving at the end. They tried to do this thing with, with, with all of these full circle moments And typically that is the mark of good writing, but I felt like it was a bit excessive to where I was like, okay, what's the next full circle thing? Okay. The finger trap. What's the next full circle thing? Okay. The, it felt like it kind of took the easy way out and it felt what felt desperate to me. Like it's interesting. Y'all were talking about how desperate it was at the beginning of the movie. That didn't bother me. That was in line with this character. What bothered me was how desperate I think the movie got at the end to be likable. That was the part I think that sullied it um, for me in its quality. It was trying so hard to be likable at the end. And so you kind of have this smorgasbord of all these different scenes trying to get you, okay, like the characters now, okay, like J-Law now, okay, like what's happening now. And I fe- and that was the part that felt more forced to me more than her trying to have sex with him. That was the part that felt forced to me was just the it, it, it changed tones drastically. And I know sometimes in these comedies, that's kind of what it has to do. It has to set up. It has to be raunchy. It has to do these things and kind of have the bravery and not care enough to present these things and to present these sort of sexual gross or whatever raunchy things. But then at some point, the movie then has to ask you to invest or care or like these characters. The the other movie we're about to talk about does the exact same thing. It does that drastic change of tone. But to me, this didn't work as well in those moments because it felt a little too desperate to get the likes. You know, don't be so desperate. You don't have to just throw it all on a please like this plate 
And I think that that's where the movie lost some quality for me. But 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 overall, like I said, I laughed at um, more of the scenes than I didn't. And I, like I said, I thought the chemistry of the leads was good. And I thought that really who made this movie for me was Andrew Barth Feldman. I think that he was just great. I liked the progression of that character. And I like where he started to where he wound up. I thought all of that was good and just a very solid performance from him. I think one thing with this movie is that when I'm saying this, like she felt desperate to me, that meant also the whole movie since it went around her you know, since most of the movies focused around her. So I do agree with you, Justin. The end of this movie is desperate too. You know, to me, it was all desperate. Like her characterization was desperate. And the thing is, is I get that she wasn't able to make connections and all this other stuff. But they presented her as a character that at least knew how to fuck guys. Like to entice men to want to fuck her. You know what I mean? And to me, she wasn't even doing that beyond the fact that, yes, he was oblivious to a lot of it because of, you know, who he was. But still, she was being full force with it in a way that wasn't like a I want you type of way. It was a I'm a desperate kind of way. So that's why it didn't play like that to me with it, because like. They establish her as a character that knows how to manipulate people and knows how to sleep with people. Beginning of the movie, when she's trying to get that tow truck guy not to tow her car, she's manipulating him, and it's working until that other guy walks out. So that's why the way she was acting felt desperate to me, because it wasn't because she doesn't know how to make connections. It was because... She looked like she did not know how to talk to a human being in any way, shape, or form. You know, that's what was, that disparity in that regard kind of bothered me. Because, yeah, she showed, she knows how to manipulate people. She knows how to hook up with people. She knows how to do that stuff. But then around that kid, it she didn't even try. That, I think, is the issue. She didn't even try. It was just full force the whole way. And to me, that never then came across as sexy or came across as seducing. It came across as just desperation. When she showed... And you didn't think any of that was tied to the fact that none of this was real? Like the entire scenario, the entire premise, what the parents were asking her to do, you don't think that... Her motivation for being that way was motivated by the fact that none of it was real. Like from the jump, from Jump Street, none of it was real. It's just, I just need to get this thing. This is what they want me to do. I just need to get this thing and that be it. And yeah. I think I I get when it that. stopped, when it wasn't working, you saw her sort of change lanes on that. And, and, and the walls start to come down it takes some time but i think that's why though because from jump or at least that's how i interpreted it because from jump none of it was real 
you know? See, I think with me, the, the problem is, is I didn't feel like she changed tactics. I cause okay. I still felt like in every moment that they were connecting in some other way, she was still trying to do that regardless. You know what I mean? She'd be like, which is kind of funny that the, that Percy was like, I know that you're really horny, but <laughs> I'm not ready to have sex yet or whatever it was. He said, I'm like, I, that's how she came across to him. I completely see why. Yeah, so it's like the scene, like if they're if they're having a connection, she goes from like it's a soft kind of tender moment to we got to fuck yet, though. You know what I mean? That was the duality in those scenes that bothered me because it wasn't like to me that we're there. there she is softening. Therefore, her tactics change because to me, that tactic was still just there a little bit and that's what bothered me because like from the beginning when she he thinks she's he's she's kidnapping him you would think at that point she would realize oh this kid is not picking up on signals and my aggressiveness is bothering him in that regard so if your goal is to seduce him you change tactics then. But she is borderline forcing herself on him throughout the rest of the movie. Even when they have a connective moment, she's then just forcing herself on him. And then, like I said, then they get to that scene where she is just like in a weird, jealous rage. And I'm I'm not liking that because then I'm like, it's not a friendship thing. It's not a I need this car thing. It, it comes across as a this kid I caught feelings for is with another girl. And I can't like I can't have that. And that just kind of it, it, it for lack of a better word, it kind of gave me the ick. I got the ick. So you, you, once you get the ick, you can't shake it. You know, like it's never leaving me from that point. And I mean, it's just, so even at the end, whenever they've kind of reconciled and they're like, oh, we're best friends now. We're just best buds. It was still then weird that they're like, oh, we're going to joke about the fact that that was my first time though. Because, like, so since the ick is stuck with me at that point, I'm just like, ah. I also find it very weird that she saved $22,000 in, like, three months. How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> that was another thing that weird. Yeah, yeah, that's, the part I, that, that's the part I question more than anything. Although, um, when I had my wreck and I had to take Uber drivers, Uber drivers were talking about how they were making money. So I don't know. Mm. She had to that that had to be hella Uber. Twenty two. But those Uber drivers. <laughs> but say hey, some of those Uber drivers say I make more at this job. I mean, I I can make as much as my other job working part time. I mean, I've I heard that from quite a few yeah, Uber but drivers. That's some of them be making money. She I'm makes she makes more money than I do. Then Uber driving. <laughs> 
And I mean, <laughs> no, nah, but even I was like, dang, that was quick. I was like, man, she hit that go quick. Or I was even I was kind of like how much time has passed. But, you know, back to that other thing that you were talking about, the prom real quick. Yeah, I guess I just saw it differently, man. Like, I, I think it was a combination of a bunch of things because she had spent all this time and she couldn't seem to get what she was trying to get out of him. And then this girl, then, um, you know, this girl that he knows comes up and they just seem to really kind of have uh, something more like a natural connection. And then he wants to go to the party. And I think some of it wasn't it wasn't all just, oh, I'm a jealous girlfriend or something like that. I think some of it, too, was just the frustration of I couldn't get anywhere with this kid. You know, I've Mm. done all of this. And spent all this time laser tagging, learning about this kid's life, telling him about my life, did all of this stuff. And but this is the choice he's making. I think some of it was just the jealousy, not so much like, oh, I want to be with him. Jealousy, but more like, really? She's used to getting her way. God, exactly. Because she's used to getting her way and, and, and just manipulating people and it working and they showed you that. So I think this was the shock that this character needed. She needed this shit not to work in order for her to change, you know? So at least that's how I interpreted it. But, you know, just wanted to, I just say that since I didn't talk about it earlier. I think the thing that confuses me the most about this movie is how did that man get that finger trap on his penis? Like, how did that fit? Yeah, like, come on, There's no way. (laughs) What? To me, that was the worst joke in this movie. (laughs) That is straight up. I was sitting there going, okay, I'm sitting there at the theater like, okay, the time it would have taken. Okay, I wasn't doing that. (laughs) I wasn't measuring it out. But no, I was was the same way. I was like, really? Come on now. (laughs) And also, like, I feel like... (laughs) It would be a weird thing to brag about if you if you could like fit it in because it's isn't it it's pretty narrow right because your finger can get trapped in it so I'm just like why did you think that this was a good idea bro I mean I don't know in, in general though th- that came across as a fucking 2001 American Pie five joke like like. Not even an American Frat Pie type thing. It's not even American Pie. You remember whenever there was that time frame after American Pie where they were doing American Pie spinoff movies like The Naked Mile or Pie Fucker Orchard or whatever the fuck they were doing. Like they were just doing all those spinoff movies of American Pie. Uh, they did American <laughs> Pie Band Camp. Um, pie Fucker Orchard. Yeah. They were just doing that shit. They were just making all kinds of random ass movies. That felt like a dumb joke out of those. That felt like that same scene in The Sweetest Thing where Selma Blair is giving that guy a blowjob and her throat gets stuck on his uh, penis jewelry. It was the same type of joke of just like, oh, a dick is in something. (laughs) And see, this is where like for me with like raunchy comedies that you really... I feel like if you really want it to be as funny as I guess maybe funny enough for like someone like me who like raunchy comedy is not like my go-to it's gotta be good if you're gonna like make me laugh with it right like 
I just feel like kind of like something Jason said earlier, like with the another movie that we're going to talk about, it does it so much better to where it's it lands and it works. And yeah, I don't know this one. It felt like it again, like it was trying too hard with those jokes and the jokes weren't good enough jokes with it to actually get the laugh. Like they thought it was and maybe in the, you know, early mid 2000s, maybe it would have gotten a a great laugh. But I feel like we've advanced from that type of like raunchy humor into stuff that could be so much better now. And that's why it just felt like, what? What is this? (laughs) Well, you guys ready to talk about that other movie now? Yes. Yep. All right, now we're going to talk about what we liked and didn't like every and everything in between with the movie Joyride. Once again, just for clarification's sake, we will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-centric section. Still got those time codes, if you so require. With all that, I'll start off. I'll change up a little. For the most part, I really liked this movie. I really liked a lot of the cultural elements it brought to things. I really dug some of the jokes. I thought this was a really funny movie. I think where this movie suffers is a lot like the movie The Blackening. The ending suffers in this movie. I think this movie is really, really great until the end of the movie. Because to me, without being any, like getting into any spoilers with it, To me, the third act is like 15 minutes. And it it, it takes this movie that had a lot of original things going for it and a lot of good jokes and a lot of originality and humor and flair to it. And then it goes, ah, man, we need to wrap this up. Here's 15 minutes of tropes that you've seen in every fucking movie ever so we can just get the ending done. And that really kind of bummed me out. Because this movie was so good to me. And then just, I think it squandered it because it just didn't know how to end it. And it got desperate and went to Trope City. You know, and just bought all the tropes it could buy because they were all on sale. It was like a buy 12 tropes, get 12 free. And just threw every trope in the book at the end of this movie. And I thought that was a waste of the story you had told. The, the jokes you had, the talent on the screen you had, I think you wasted all the great shit you had in this movie on doing that. And it takes this movie from being just very good to great and just makes it pretty good. And I just got really bummed by the end of this movie. Uh, Heather, what about you? Yeah, that's fair to say. I, I did feel like that too. I was like, we're already at the end. Like that happened so fast. <laughs> like, you know, but um, I also mostly liked this movie. I think, you know, sort of what things we were alluding to before, like it's fresh, like the the types of jokes and the way they're doing the jokes, it feels fresh and fun. And it, it feels like 
a more natural way to do raunchy comedy than the one before. So yeah, I think, um, and I think something this movie does well is for me, all of the characters are likable. Like all of the characters in the friend group to some degree, like they're all just likable, you know, in a lot of movies where you have this, this friend group or this road trip or whatever, there's always going to be either that, super annoying one or that one that you just really don't like or whatever but there was something about each of the the main characters in this that I really did like and you can actually see that like why they would all be friends and you could see why they would all gel and mesh together for the most part with each other so yeah I think there were some scenes in it that I feel like they weren't really necessary to the movie um I mean, maybe in some way, but like, I don't know, there's some scenes that I I wasn't the hugest fan of like how they played it out. But, um, I do, I think this one also had a lot more heart behind it. Um, you know, it had a lot of, um, just meaningful things and like a, a, a big message about searching for who you are and trying to know your true self and, you know, what makes you, you and the importance of, even your culture and things like that. And um, I thought that was a really cool thing to add in. And the way that they intertwine that with the humor of this movie was done really well. And I think that's what this movie mostly has going for it. Um, All of the leads are funny. Um, All of them are good actors and it just worked like their dynamic and their chemistry was very good And yeah, I just, I, for the most part, I think this movie was very well done. Justin, what about you? Well, good. Cause if y'all didn't like this one, I was going to quit the podcast and be like, man, y'all, y'all, y'all tripping. If y'all didn't (laughs) know what you're talking about. Um, uh, but, uh, no, like where, where I thought the other one was the other movie, no hard feelings was okay and decent. I think that this one was was very good. You know, maybe even really good. Um, I do think some of that is dependent on how you look at the movie overall. But uh, I thought it was really good. I think that um, it, it, it's a smarter movie as far as with its comedy. Um, this one did not feel like it was playing it safe. This felt like, uh, until it got to the end, let me let me re- rephrase that a little bit. At the end, yes, say, it does Justin. play it safe as far as there are some, I think, storyline tropes in it, but the characterizations and some of its comedy and stuff like that it felt like it was kind of doing its own thing, especially with it, with, with the different cultures and everything like that. Um, and a lot of that did feel like original stuff because we're not used to seeing it though. I must say a lot of this is super bad. Quite a bit. Some of it is some of the characterizations are super bad down to even the 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 characters sexual free drawing dicks kind of stuff you got kind of a socially awkward McLovin character there's a secret kept from the Seth you know Jonah Hill character that comes to you know there are some plot elements and things that are straight out of super bad 
but I like Superbad. You know, Superbad is a good movie. So, hey, if you're going to bite a little bit off the Superbad pie, <laughs> you might as well do it, try to do it in a in a more interesting kind of way. And, and at least do, do if you're going to bite some things off of something, do it, make it your own. Do it in a way that feels that feels fresh and fun. And I think overall this did that. So I don't think it wins every battle in the story. And just like with the other movie and really this is with any comedy, especially these raunchy comedies like this, there comes a time where the movie has to drastically change its tone and it has to get you to buy in on the more human sides of the characters and things like that. And it has to get you to like these other aspects of the characters and it has to kind of get to a likable place and, uh, and show its heart, so to speak. And a lot of times these movies are made and broken on that. And I don't think that this wins every battle, but I think overall because of the leads, because of how well they were acting and because you do genuinely like this friendship between these four women, overall, it works. It it didn't quite clear the hurdle. You know, it hit it. It knocked it, hit it a little bit. You know, uh, maybe it wobbled a bit, a bit, but the hurdle didn't fall down and we got over and we got to the finish line. Not the cleanest finish, but we got there. And I think that sometimes that's okay. A lot of movies struggle with, with, especially when it's this kind of film, on how to finish. And I've seen a lot of movies finish way worse than this, like the one we watched before this. So I will at least give the movie that. I think it had enough heart to where, even though I was seeing cliches, there was enough heart and there was enough acting on display it overcomes those times when it's a cliche. So overall, I do think it is a good film. Is it just me or is it not the epitome of irony when movies about sex don't know how to finish? God, I nailed that joke. Oh, that was great. (laughs) Anyway, uh, recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yes. Recommendations and score. Justin, such a pleasant yes. Yes, please. Um, I'll start this section again. Um, Overall, I do recommend it. Like Justin said, I I did not make that connection, Justin. But as you were explaining your point, this is a lot like Superbad. It is. Mm-hmm. But but mm-hmm. It, it, it it's like super bad in a way that book smart is also like super bad. You kind of mm. use the formula, but like you said, Justin, you make it your own. You twist yeah. it, you change yeah. it, you you give it your own flair to it. And I think that that's where this movie succeeds because you're right, Justin. This movie uses tropes throughout the entire movie. It does a great job of making them unique in this movie for what 90% of it. And then the end of the movie, they don't try to, they don't try to adapt the tropes to it. 
They just go, bam, bam. They go, trope, 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 done. And you're like, oh. Okay. <laughs> and to me, that's why it's a lot like the blackening. Because I loved the cultural aspects of it. Because the blackening is also not a uniquely original movie. But it did a good job of adding cultural elements to it to give it a uniqueness, to give it its flair, to give it its flavor. And that's what this movie did for a lot of it. It had a lot of tropes in it, but it it gave them its own unique flair and twist and uniqueness that I was so fucking into and really dug. And then they got a little lazy. And I think that's why it hurts so much more in this. You know, they got lazy at the end of Indiana Jones. We talked about that crazy fucking ending. That didn't disappoint me as bad as this ending did because the entire fucking movie with Indiana Jones was filled with that shit. You know what I mean? Like it was filled with all kinds of shit that was disappointing. So I'm not disappointed at the end because I'm like, nah, that's on par with the rest of this movie. Yeah. This one disappointed me because I'm like, you were telling me the whole time. I know what I'm doing. I've got this. I know how to twist this. I know how to do this. We're competent with this movie. We know everything we're doing. We're going to nail the ending. You're telling me the whole movie. You know what you're doing. And then you get to the end of the movie and you go, "Ah, I guess not. Oh, well, we're done. I'm just like, man, that's so that's so frustrating. But I do recommend it. It's still so much of this movie is so good. That it's still worth a watch. And maybe when this comes out on DVD or digital download or whatever, maybe I'll buy it and maybe it's got an alternate ending that I can watch. And then I might be like, oh shit, that was a better ending and I might like it more. We can only hope. Um, With that, with my score, I'm going to give it a very clean 75. 75 devil face vaginal tattoos out of 100. Uh, Justin, what about you? Yeah, it's going to be a recommend from me too and not just like, you know, like a forgettable kind of date movie type of thing. I do genuinely think that this is funny. And I think that the cast is worth a watch alone. And I say this all the time that these movies are about the journey, not the destination. Most of the time, the, these comedy movies and this kind of stuff, like, you know how it goes. I mean, we've seen enough of these to know how they're going to go. You know, the friends are still going to be friends at the end. You know that, you know that, you know, J-Law and 
the 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 guy are gonna be okay at the end. We know, you know, we know romance. You know that these this man and woman are gonna get together or whatever. We know how it goes, right? Like the, that's one thing I always like to say with these kinds of movies is it, the the destination. We probably know where it's gonna wind up, but can you have a journey that is impactful enough? To where when I get to this destination that I know is coming, I'm at least happy with the journey I took. That is this movie in a nutshell. I was happy with the journey and I enjoyed the journey so much. And I loved these characters so much. And I loved so much of how they were interacting with other people, how they were interacting with each other. I I loved all the cultural stuff because it felt fresh to me, uh, not being of that culture. All of that I found very interesting. So the journey is like top notch to where even though, yeah, I get some cliche stuff at the end, but it's almost to be expected. I mean, there weren't too many ways for this to end, but for everybody to still be friends. I mean, I don't I don't really know what else they could have possibly done. So, I mean, I think the journey alone is worth the price of admission. And I hope that people go see this. I hope it makes pretty good money because I, I like all of these, these actresses. I think all of them were very talented and they, they each shined in this acting with each other. So um, yeah, a very, very, very fun journey um, th- that I think is worth taking the ride, so to speak. So with that being said, we'll go, We'll go 85. Hmm. Man, there's so many things to choose from. (laughs) We'll go 85. 85 wet ass pussies to (laughs) try to pass security on a plane out of 100. That is not where I was expecting you were going with your score clarifier. Um, Heather, what about you? Um, yeah, I recommend it. I think it was fun. I think it's a great, you know, yeah, kind of, I think you said it really well, Jason, with like, it's about the journey that they're taking. And that's the whole point of it is this journey of finding self and this journey of friendship and all of those things is what this movie is about. And while I also agree, Sterling, that the, the ending is, a little disappointing in some ways as far as how they approach the end. Um, I do think that the ride itself as a whole was really good and everything like the dialogue and the friendships and everything in this movie felt very natural. Um, And that's, that's what makes it as good as it is. Like nothing feels forced. None of the jokes feel forced. Like everything just kind of works with this movie, everything that didn't work with the other movie works in this one. Like you have that natural chemistry. You have the, yeah, just everything is, is just so well done with how they tell the story and how they build out these characters and these friendships and even the friendships that have drifted away and then they come back together. Like it's just, it's really good. It's really well done. Um, I also just in general love the fact that Stephanie Sue was the character she was because like her range of acting is just absolutely insane at this point. 
I've only seen her in the two things, but like just how different her character is in this from everything everywhere all at once. It's insane. Her range is crazy. Um, but yeah, I liked all of the leads in it. Um, and it is, it's a journey of self and it's, it's heartwarming and really, um, I really resonated or I really just kind of enjoyed, um, our main character, Ashley Park. I don't remember her name in the movie. I liked her whole journey, like everything that she was going through and just you seeing her struggle of what she's dealing with while she's trying to find herself and find her family. It's just really well done. Um, you, you care about it and you're, you feel along for the ride with her and you want answers just as much as she does because of how they make you captivated with these characters and the story of it. So yeah, I do recommend it. Um, it is funny. It's heartwarming. It's, it's good. It's a good time. So yeah, I recommend it. I am actually going to give it 80, um, punches in the face of little kids that are being racist out of a hundred. Anybody out there that has the most rudimentary concepts of math will know that our Cinescore for this movie is an 80. Because it's a 75, yes. an 80, and an 85. I mean, it's just bam, 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 like bam. I didn't like, I was like typing mine and Jastin's into the calculator. And I'm like, all right, yeah, it's 160, so it's an 80. So whatever they have, you know, and then you gave it an 80. I'm like, I don't even have to finish typing in this shit. It's very straightforward. I like how we all had like a clean number here. Yeah. That's- yeah. Nice and clean. Nice. Spoilers? Yeah. Yep. I'm going to talk about the end. Then that way you guys can talk about the rest. Um, Because I probably agree with you on the rest of the movie. Uh, Man, the end. Like, they do the stereotypical, we're going to have a falling out. We all knew that that was coming. It happens in all these fucking movies. They had the falling out. And then she meets what theoretically, technically was her stepdad. And that was a good scene. I really enjoyed it. I thought that was great. And then it just went to, hey, I started my own practice. Hey, friend, I miss you. Like, I'm going to do it over the microphone at the restaurant in front of everybody because it's this movie. We have to do that because apparently that's what everyone does in these scenes because movies tell us that. And then she's like, oh, I wish you hadn't given up on your art. And she's like, nope, my art's never been more successful because of course it has. And then, you know, then their friend Deadeye is there and Deadeye's like, yay, we're all friends again. And everybody's like, yay, we're friends. And then like, then her actor's friend is just doing great again too. And then we're just going to go to Paris because we mentioned Paris once in this movie. And that all happens in like 10 fucking minutes. So it's trope, 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 trope credits. And I'm like, oh, damn. This movie just, it it literally wrapped it up. That's true. And the fact that they didn't, they kind of like looked, they overlooked the whole thing of her revealing, hey, I met my stepdad and my mom died. Like just completely glossed over that. for this 10 minute ending why didn't she have a scene with her adoptive parents about that right 
that would have been so fucking great to have at the end of this movie. But they went, nope, we're going to take everybody. Everybody gets a happy ending bow. And there we go. Just so quick. I'm not saying that they couldn't have all had happy endings. But did you have to have everybody have the most basic run-of-the-mill happy ending that could ever fucking be written and tell us all in 10 minutes that that was it? I'm just like, you did so much good, unique shit throughout this movie to just run in and go, hey, you're getting a Hallmark movie ending. Really just kind of bothered me with nothing else. Like, why couldn't she have had a conversation with her parents at the end of this movie about all the shit she went through about you know, finding out this about her and how about she's kind of lost and doesn't know who she is and all this other stuff. And her parents are like, no, you know exactly who you are because you're still you. You might not know some of these other details, but in the end, you're still you. And, you know, you can figure out the rest of this and what it means in your life and just add it to your life. It doesn't change everything about your life. It just changes part of your life. And you can add it into what, in, to what you are and who you are and all this shit, and it'd be, you know, and then have them mention something about, like, oh, with, uh, what's her name, Lolo, and, like, all this other stuff, and then she'd be like, oh, yeah, Lolo, and, like, like all that other shit, they could have just changed it a little bit and gave it a little bit more heart, like this movie deserved, because this movie had a bunch of heart. This movie had a bunch of other shit, just for it to go, like, bam, we're going to do some basic shit. At the end, I was just... I was really hurt by that. It really made me sad that this movie went that route. Especially because, I mean, everyone in this movie was just acting their asses off for so much of this movie, doing so much great shit. And the movie was so good at taking chances. I mean, that scene where they're all doing things of a sexual nature with so many basketball players... And then, you know, dead eyes dancing and the fact that they decimate an entire basketball team in one night. That was funny. Was such a great (laughs) joke. I loved that, that they all uniquely did something different to decimate this basketball team. Fantastic. Sign me up. Great shit. You know, uh, that scene where they're singing Wob Jastin. Oh, great scene. I love it. They changed the lyrics, all the shit. And man, I love the reveal of that tattoo. I thought that was fantastic too. I personally loved the fact that it was, a, it was a gigantic devil face. I thought that that was even funnier because of the relationship <laughs> she had built. That was supposedly super Christian. And she's got this devil tattoo on her vagina. I thought that's an amazing twist. Because I loved that it, it it really fit her character and kind of some of the short-sighted nature that her character had of how was she actually going to marry this guy to then finally have sex with him knowing that's the tattoo there. I thought that was great because her character was so well written that it didn't feel like that was like a lazy oversight it felt like it was just something she was ignoring 
as a problem until it would become a problem because her character was written that way. So to me, that joke was even funnier at that moment because it fit into her character's natural, like what she was doing throughout the movie too. And I thought that was so fucking great how they were able to take that joke later and tie it in in that way. And then it ultimately didn't matter. And I was even okay with that. I, I, I kind of dug the fact of, you know, the way that her relationship kind of overcame its obstacle, you know, and all this other stuff. Cause I thought that that was kind of uniquely written of, you know, that some of it was just him being intimidated and all these other things. And then like, then she just jumps that man's bones and she's like, nah, fuck all this shit. Now it's going down really fucking dug the way they did that. You know, I just thought that there was so many, unique and interesting ways they tackled everything for the movie just to they had a microphone scene i don't think you guys understand they had a microphone bearing of the soul scene that has been a staple in fucking movies like this since like 1971 yeah the only thing they changed here was that it was in a restaurant and not at like an airport or a concert like it would typically be. Yeah, because it just doesn't feel like that would have been anything any of the characters did, except for Deadeye. Deadeye would have done it, but more so just to like probably sing something maybe or do something funny, not to like bear her soul. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it would have been better if they were kind of maybe having an argument and then Deadeye started yelling at them over the microphone. Or maybe even accidentally over the microphone just because she's standing there yelling next to the microphone. Right. But it's going over the entire (laughs) restaurant instead. That would have been slightly better. Yeah. Just something. Instead, just that that bearing of the soul over a microphone. Ugh. Uh, Justin, what about you? But you you didn't find it funny whenever um, she's doing that and then she sort of realizes what she's doing and she like, puts the mic down like, this is silly. Let me just walk up and talk to you. You didn't find that some of that kind of was just playing to the fact that they, you didn't think that was the movie being self-aware that it knew that it was a cliche. See that the only thing for me, at least that would tells me that says no for me is the fact that they still had the whole entire restaurant clapping at the whole thing. That's the only thing. If it was just like a, it would have been funny if it was like she's doing it and she realizes it's dumb, but also all of the people in the restaurant are like, what are you doing? This is weird. Like that would have been funnier than just like, let's all clap at this weird thing happening right now. Yeah. I think that that's why that, that scene, I think Heather said it right. It, it's okay. It's the fact that then they did the everybody applauds thing after that. So it's like, it might've been a self-aware reference, but then they followed it up with another trope of the crowd applauds right after it. So it's like, and then that, and then that wasn't a wink and a nod either. You know what I mean? Cause that the, the applauding was not a wink and a nod, you know, that was just straight trope. And so when you follow a wink and a nod with a trope like that, it kind of reduces the wink and a nod to just kind of trope status a little bit, you know, yeah, it just okay. would have been funny if, if somebody would have been like, we're trying to eat over here. Like, why are you talking loud on this mic or something like where it just played the opposite of what they do see in the movies like that kind of I think would have been funny, though. 
Or if the table right next to her was like, but can I get my water? Right, or something where it just felt like yeah. what you're or doing doesn't matter. Or maybe that I could have started clapping, but nobody else is. Yes, and that would have been good. Somebody could, and then somebody could have been like, yeah, like like you said, somebody could have been like, ma'am, could, could could I get a water? You know, something like that. But maybe if Dad I was clapping, that would have been and funny. Nobody was, and but fitting. yeah, but I thought that it was being self-aware with that scene. I, I actually laughed whenever she was like, why am I doing this? And put the mic down and walked up to her. It got a laugh out of me because I thought it was being self-aware, but I see what y'all are saying. Go ahead and keep going, though, Justin. Oh, it was my turn, wasn't it? Um, I was kind of like, where to even begin? Is that all he has? You always to say? do this weird. It, it's you always do this weird thing where you jump to the end, and then I'm like, so then I think about that, but then I have to reset to go back to the beginning to try to lead up. It's just funny how different we are, man. I like to like talk and lead up to the end, and you just like to go right to the end. But anyway, it's just something I'm noticing about our styles with this. But anyway, uh, man, where to even begin? Well, I mean, even though I saw the scene in the previews and everything, I, I mean, just to talk about it, the, the opening scene is great with how they meet the family and how it's extended in the movie. You don't see the entire scene in the preview. So what I liked about it was that awkwardness of... um the 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 parents uh Audrey's parents coming up and and then and you get you get the extended parts of what Lolo's parents say too when they're like fucking yeah. white people exactly because they you could just tell that they're so annoyed like because they think it's one of those things of these white people just invade on you know I totally got what they were feeling in that moment and they were like yeah but we're you know it's we're 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 in America, you know. Like you could just tell that there was just that awkwardness at first, but then when they realize, oh, you know, they that they have a daughter that's Chinese um, and everything, and so I, I just thought that that was all good stuff, showing those cultural differences and stuff like that. And, and really, I think what wins the day is just these characterizations, man. Like and how each of them was sort of not embracing a part of themselves or the truth about themselves and all of them sort of having to overcome some aspect of their truth in the journey. So all of that was good, man. You kind of had all of these characters on a similar path, but on, on the similar path of like kind of embracing their truth, but all in different ways. And so you got to see all these different perspectives of how a person can struggle with that, you know? And, and so I think that that's like the genius of the writing of the characters, you know, because the, the aspect of that, that Audrey was struggling with was not the same aspect that Kat was struggling with that, um, that Lolo was struggling with that dead. I was struggling with. So all of that worked, man. I just really, was digging all of those characterizations, you know? Um, and, and, and man, like it's, it's funny because I go back and I look at 
like some reviews for this. And it's funny how people go back and forth with, you know, some people were like, Ashley Park is the star here that carries this. And then some people were like, uh, you know, Sherry Cola was the one that carried it, you know, Lolo's character. And then some people said that Cat, you know, they really liked Cat. So I like when I'm seeing people sort of gravitate to different characters and say, no, this one carried it. No, this one stole it. No, this one stole it. I like that it seems like overall people can't decide like who was like the just the cream of the crop because all of the performances were were just so good. I mean, if it were me, I do think that Ashley Park, the Audrey character being kind of the crux of this and kind of your lead character, I, I, I do feel like there was more for her to do as far as being comedic, but then also having to be heartfelt there at the end. So I would say she had the most difficult task of them, but really everybody killed it though. I honestly, I think all of them killed it overall. Well, I think Um, one of the things tying into that is how they were all uniquely individual characters. So then it makes it very easy as an audience member to connect to one of them because they've got varied traits, varied depth to them. So it allows you to kind of side with the character that you're the most like. And then it's to, then that becomes the character that carried it. You know what I mean? Yeah. In that regard, like, because they, they're such varied characters that you would feel like should be in a lazier movie. They would have been all too similar because it would have all just been, they're all Asian women, you know? So it would have just been way too similar, you know, but each one was so unique and so varied and so like true to their own characters that it kind of just aids in that of you being able to just, uniquely relate to one character maybe over another because that character has a a trait that you identify with so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's true. You do kind of find yourself in one or many of the characters, but I think that that's, yeah, that that's like, that is a big aspect of it because even though, they're all struggling with this similar thing. It's all in different ways. And it's ways that most people can understand, especially if you've had some sort of struggle about some aspect of yourself and stuff like that. So I can totally get that, you know? Um, and, And like, as the plot's moving along, it just like, even when, we weren't doing anything interesting. We were just the characters kind of somewhere talking to each other. It was just entertaining, man. Like all of these women just had comedic timing. All of them just meshed so well together that you're just laughing at people saying stuff or reacting to stuff or some character saying something surprising the other character. Like you're just laughing at their banter like, you feel like, like they're it wasn't actually even like, good friends. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You definitely get that sense and you definitely feel that. 
like they felt like people had known each other just forever and had grown up together. They totally felt like that are bringing up things from their childhood, but then going to something that they both like, like all of that stuff to make it feel organic was there. And, and a lot of that is just the credit to the acting they were doing. Um, I'm trying to think like, what were some of my favorite scenes? Like, man, a lot of it was just so likable. Um, but, but just to talk about a few scenes, I, I really thought it was cool whenever they met some of Lolo's family and they were just sort of interacting with all of those, um, with, with all of, with all of her people I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that that was a lot of fun and just kind of seeing like how, um, how they interact with each other, you know, the playing games and stuff like that. It's just, it's just a side that you don't often see uh, uh, in movies and stuff like that, because this is not a, a, a cast that you get a lot in movies. So all of that was nice. I welcomed all of that. And all of that just felt like really warm and heartwarming. So even when it wasn't doing like the raunchy, funny stuff, they were just nailing it with some of this family stuff and some of these like these connections that the character were making just outside of their friendship. Even that stuff was pretty good, man. And and like uh and and, and to talk about kind of what you were talking about at the end, um even though, yes, it got hella tropey with the we all got to be mad at each other and we all got to split off. And like you said, you see it coming a mile away. The moment the argument started, you knew what was about to happen. Like, you know, there's no way you could have not seen that coming. But I did like her journey to find her mother. That actually surprised me. I just thought it was going to be kind of a either... I was trying to predict it beforehand and go, well, is she actually going to meet her, meet her mother and like her? Or maybe she won't, but she realizes something about her friends or something like that. I was trying to predict it and none of it went the way that I thought it was going to go with her actually having passed away, but then her meeting her stepfather or the husband and then learning that about her mother. I thought all of that was great. And I think that Park really shined in those moments because that was a completely different emotional tone from what the movie had been. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, I don't think that uh, No Hard Feelings did this as successfully because it had the same job that this movie had, where after all of these raunchy comedy bits and WAP video and all of this stuff that happened, you then have to drastically change your tone and ask the audience to care about that aspect of it too. You're, you're asking your audience to stop laughing and then care and buy into the emotional gravity of what we're talking about now. And there's some heartache and some loss and some disappointment, but then some love and then some confusion, but then some clarity. You know, the the film was doing a lot with just those scenes with, with Park. And I think she really rose to the occasion and nailed 
all of that in those moments with that scene, which is why I would be giving her, I mean, I'm a wrestler to use a wrestling reference here. This is why she would get the championship belt for me. It was those scenes where I felt like you had a drastic tone change that I felt like if she doesn't nail that, if the story doesn't nail that, this thing really falls apart, especially like with that quickie kind of ending that you're talking about that we got, Sterling. So it would have been far worse if we didn't nail that. So I think that was such a pivotal point in this movie. And that is so hard for a lot of these comedies to nail when the movie has to shift like that. And this one did it. You know, it was able to do that because a lot of it was because of her acting and how she got me at least to care for her in those moments. So I thought that all of that was good. Uh, And I will agree with you. It was hella quick at the end. It was almost so quick that you wonder if they just didn't have a good idea for how to end this. So they were just like, let's just end it. Let's just, you know, we don't have a great idea, but at least we're not going to overstay the welcome. We're not going to do the Lord of the Rings and have four different endings where we see everybody's life or something like, you know, we see everybody's life and stuff like that. So maybe the decision was, well, we don't have a great one, so we'll just have a short one. And I don't know if that was the rationale. Okay, but I do get where you're coming from. And and I and I think I agree when you said that you wish that she had spoke to her parents her other parents in that moment and maybe got some final motivation to reconcile with everybody or do what she was going to do. I, I think you're right. It, it could have used that. I, I think she should have had a conversation with them. I think she calls them, but it was like a real quick thing, maybe like in a montage type of thing. I don't think it was a, a heartfelt talk with them that I think, yeah, the movie probably could have needed. Um, but 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 other than that, man, I mean, everybody was just so good. It's just hard to try to kind of focus on one thing. Oh, and Baron Davis is random as hell. Like, I was like, Baron Davis, <laughs> just of all people, why, why is Baron Davis in this? But why did all of that just work so perfectly? Why did all of that, why was all of that just great? But I just thought it was so random that she was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hook up with Baron Davis. But, dude, all of that was great. And he surprised me, too. You know, sometimes, I mean, I guess gone are the days where, you know, when you find out a basketball player or a sports player is in a movie, you just expect the acting to just be really subpar or for them to try to add something, but it's hard because you know this is not their arena. He was great. He he was tight, if, you know? If I'm and, remembering and, and, the movie right, he's the only one that didn't get injured, right? During their sex games and whatnot? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, yes. I also just think that's funny because, like, Sherry Cola's character, uh, Lolo, <laughs> is that her name? Lola. Yeah, Lola. yeah. The fact that like she is considered this just very all over the place, never together, always kind of like the screw up person. And she's the only one that didn't like (laughs) injure one of the players during their their fun time they were having. I thought was kind of like a funny, ironic thing that happened. 
Yeah, but but she's good at sex. No, though. she a pro. You got to give her that. That's the thing. That's she true. Is. That's she true. a pro. She knows yeah. what she's yeah, doing. She is a pro. She's the pro. She good at sex. She knows what she's doing. So, you know, she wasn't messing up. But no, I just wanted to say that last thing. Like, it's just crazy how perfect that was. And even the drug scene that they showed in the previews where everybody's hiding the drugs. I was like, okay, I've seen all of this. But even then, when we got there, I found myself laughing at just some of what the characters were saying after we didn't we we saw a lot of it in the previews, but the aftermath was funny and all the banter back and forth was funnier than I thought it was gonna be. I didn't think that I was would like that scene. I didn't really react to that scene when I saw it in the movie theater. But I mean, I'm sorry, in in the preview that I saw, but when we got there, they they nailed that too. They found a way to they they were funny during that too. So even in the scenes I already saw, they did a good job of just not completely ruining that ruining that scene because I already saw it. It felt like there was a tidbit here, a tidbit there that still made it feel fresh and funny when we got there. So yeah, hats off to the writing of this film as well. What about you, Heather? Well, speaking of the writing of this too, um, the story was written by Adele Lim, who also wrote uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And I just, yeah, like I'm like, man, she's a good writer. And she directed this and it was the first, I think if I'm looking right, this is the first movie she's directed. So I'm like, you know, hats off to you because that's a great start. <laughs> like, but the story, and I think she, oh, she also wrote the the screenplay for the Raya movie, um, the Raya, the Last Dragon or the Dragon, whatever that one is. Um, that was good too, yeah. man. So she's she's yeah. good at her job for sure. So, but anyway, um, yeah, I I will say that the I do think the weakest scene probably one of the weaker scenes is actually when they're um they're with the girl that has all of the drugs and they're hiding it like i feel like the the build-up and the the underlying funny part of that was better like where it was like (laughs) because she she trusted the white american and that's why they got in the situation they were in that part i thought was funnier than the actual like let's hide all the drugs and get on all the drugs, like, which was funny. And like, that was necessary to sort of move forward with the next thing they were doing in this movie, but, or the next kind of shenanigans that had to happen in the movie. But I just thought that was actually the funnier part of that whole thing is the fact that she, she screwed up because she's like, Oh yeah, we could definitely trust the one American person who speaks English here. And she was like the absolute worst person to trust. And I thought that was just a very funny little thing they did. And I also agree about the just destroying the basketball team and just injuring everybody it was so funny because I it didn't click until you see all of them walking in and you're like, oh, that's their whole team. That's messed up. Like, it was so funny. I, I thought that was hilarious. Um, but yeah, I think um, I do agree with you about like, um, Ashley Park really just did her thing with this because those emotional moments were so well done and believable. Um, and, and you're right. I think there's just something just relatable about every character in some way. I feel like, like 
just, um, Audrey's just her journey to be like, I don't even know who I am and all of this. And then, um, you know, Lolo's whole thing about everybody just doesn't take her seriously. They think that she's amounting to nothing and just, and then I also like at the end with dead eye, how dead eyes happiness really seemed like they were just comfortable with who they were and accepted who they were, regardless of what their family thought was just the cool thing. And I, I like that moral of sometimes that is your happiness. Sometimes that is the thing that gives you your happy ending is just you being okay with and accepting of who you are and comfortable with who you are. And I thought that was a really great kind of underlying message they put here. And yeah, I think um, just the, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like as an actual person, I do think that Lolo was probably the most relatable or believable like actual person that you might meet. <laughs> I don't know. Just I don't, I just feel like something about her character was very um I don't know. I was just kind of rooting for her the whole time just cuz I really enjoyed her personality and how she was with everybody. But um yeah, there there's something about each of these characters that I feel like I could take away something from. And honestly, Deadeye is a dark horse of this movie. Like Deadeye was great. I loved everything Deadeye was doing. Like just the weird quirks and all of this. But also that K-pop thing was, that was great. And like <laughs> just every everything about that was so perfectly done. And yeah, I just, and that even that heartfelt moment where Deadeye was kind of like, oh, I don't you know, have any actual friends and all of this. And then the guy that comes and is like, no, no. Yeah. You have all these friends. We got you all these fake people to be like your fake fans. So this is believable. And just the support that that I had online from these people and didn't expect it. And I, I loved that moment for, for that. So yeah, it was just really well done. That whole scene with the K-pop stuff. Um, yeah, I do like the, um, I, I I thought the scene with her stepdad, with Audrey's stepdad, was really good, too. Um, Daniel Day Kim is always a treat whenever he's somewhere. So I, I liked that whole scene. And that w- that felt really wholesome and believable. And him just really trying to, you know, give her comfort in that time. And, um, yeah, I think there... I'm trying to think of there was I know there was something at the beginning of this movie that I was like, hmm, I feel like that could have been done differently. I think it might have been more with um, like I felt like the, the, the adoptive parents felt a little bit more removed from this story than I think they should have been. I think that, you know, just the the whole idea of like they adopted this kid and all of that and just this journey that she wants to go on, like they were supportive of that, but. Yeah, I feel like kind of like what you guys said about maybe something at the end where she's having this moment with them about like her journey meeting her stepdad and hearing about her mom. And I I just think that having them a little bit more involved in the story would have been helpful a little bit. Um, But yeah, I don't know. And then I also think it would have been cool. If I know that Audrey kind of starts her own practice at the end, I think it would have been cool if she was like a family lawyer or something, you know, that was helping people doing adoptions or, 
something like that. I think that would have been a cool, like full circle moment for her character. But just the fact in general that she was opening a practice, I think was cool. Um, yeah, I, I also liked, um, (laughs) the storyline of, of cat with her fiance and all of that. Like, I, I agree about the whole everything wrapped up in a neat little bow was a little too convenient. But if there was any story that I was glad worked out, I am glad that Kat and her fiance stayed together. <laughs> like That's the one at the end of this. And I was like, I just hope that works out. Whatever else happens, happens. But that needs to work out because you could just tell how much she really did well, love him. You know, I think also the reason why I wanted that to work out is because that's weirdly funnier. If this like yeah. awkwardly, you know, Christian guy mm-hmm. is okay with like her and that tattoo she has and all that stuff, it kind of just makes it weirdly funnier if their yeah. relationship works out after all that. Right. And yeah. And that's why I think leave him for Jesus it. here and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's why I really dug that they worked out is just because it's a just a weirdly funnier joke if they yeah. work out. <laughs> and it was just interesting that like, I mean, I, I love how they played to that insecurity that she seemed to have about all of it and about just in general, like her her past looming over her and she was worried that that was going to ruin the whole relationship. And yeah, I think that's why I wanted it to work because... I like the idea of like, it doesn't matter. Like that's your past. It, it's, it's whatever. Like, I don't care about that. And yeah, the fact that he was like, actually, I'm just intimidated. That's the real reason. <laughs> like, but the reveal of why she was waiting to actually have sex with him was very funny. <laughs> they were like, oh, it's because of this tattoo. <laughs> that's, that's why you haven't had sex with him. Like it was just, it was, it was a very funny reveal. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It was just the you feel like you're watching just a group of friends that you know. Like that's really what this movie feels like and that's why I love the vibe of it because you're just like I know somebody a little bit like each one of these people and I love that and I love that you you could see people you know in it or you could see yourself in some of these characters and just the crazy adventures of course that have to happen on on this trip that they're doing. Um, and, and that's what works so well about this is the natural chemistry and relationship that these friends actually have with each other. I thought was just so well done. Um, yeah, it's, it's just funny, like just unexpected, funny moments happening. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those where you, you want the happy ending that you got, but you just kind of wanted it to be the like unexpected, like hilarious and weird happy ending, like the rest of the movie. <laughs> Cause it just, yeah, the ending didn't quite match the rest of what was going on, but, um, but I'm glad that it ended happy. Cause I think that's, that's what you want in these types of movies. So yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, that's all I got. You got any more thoughts, Justin? No, sir. I'm good. The one thing I'll say with it, just to tie into what you just said, Heather, is 
I think it would have been nice if the ending was just a little messier, not necessarily less happy, just a little messier because that's a better way to put it. Yeah. The movie is about messes. Like there's, you know what I mean? Like, so to me, it would have just been a little bit more fitting if it was a little messier, like a sloppy, happy ending. You, you, you said it better than I said it, but that's exactly what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Although a sloppy happy ending is something completely different. I'm just I think on it you're with just this movie. Yeah, I think you're just trying to get in these jokes when you can. It's a perfect opportunity. All right. On that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers Podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. We are Cinema Slayers Podcast on Facebook at Cinema underscore Slayers on Instagram, Twitter, and Threads and threads uh, at cinema slash pod on YouTube at cinema slash pod on TikTok. Uh, give us a five star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. Really help us out. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends, family, tell your friends, friends. And most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because dear sweet mothers love happy endings, sloppy, happy endings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shout out to plug me go mundo Cho for our theme song and logos respectively. Just remember here at Cinema Slayers, we are both pro-slut and pro-Sydney. We are not pro-Burger King. Did you see that abomination they are releasing in Thailand? I was just about to say, I would invite all these women out for a Thailand Burger King cheeseburger. Justin, that thing doesn't even have any sauce on it. Can you really eat like 21 slices of just American cheese? Not even including the bread, just 21 slices of American cheese at once in a brick. No, you can't. No human can, especially not without any other source of moisture. That's the grossest thing. Jason, I can make you one of those. I will go to Burger King, just ask for a bun. They'll give it to me for free because they're not selling any burgers. And I will just get 26 slices (laughs) of American fucking cheese and put that on a sandwich. You don't even got to fly to Thailand. You just got to eat that. But you don't make it with the same love of BK. Oh, you're a fucking liar, Justin. Because I would love every second of making that, knowing your ass would have to take a bite out of it and would be as fucking miserable as any other fucking soul that put their eyes on that fucking abomination of a burger. Oh, my God. It's just a (laughs) cheeseburger. No, Justin. It is just a cheese. It's not a cheeseburger. (laughs) It's a cheese. (laughs) Man, that's a lot of cheese. It is I an mean, ungrilled I was at it grilled going, cheese. I was looking at it going, could you eat that and still be alive? No. I, I don't know. I don't know. You can live afterwards. No. Man, that's a lot of cheese. Did it look good to you, Helen? No. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I need to look at it. Watch the fucking TikTok I sent about it then. I know. I haven't seen it yet. But yes. So fucking rude. And damn it, how did I know you were going to get on here and say something about that? I just knew it was coming. I, knew I wasn't going to mention a damn thing about it until I didn't say the pro Burger King. And I can tell you were look that look on your face that you do every episode of just, am I going to hear it? Oh, why not? <laughs> I was. If you had made your dumb little face about it 
I wouldn't have said a damn thing. But Justin went. You know that I'm yearning to hear that. Yeah, you're you're a glutton for punishment. You're like, oh, I need the punishment from Burger King. I have to love what I love, Sterling. This movie was about embracing all of you, and I have to <laughs> embrace the Burger King of me, Justin. And you have to, and and Child Heather that likes the orange tots, she she embraced it too, Justin. That reminds when she me, she was a kid. G Burger King yet? What? I went by there. <laughs> Did you eat it, Justin? Did you even get close enough to fucking smell it? Did you roll down your window to see if you could smell the Whoppers they cooked four hours ago that nobody had bought yet? I slowed down. Yeah. There was a car in front of me. I was about me. to say, was there a stoplight? But I was saying, did you even roll down your window to smell the Burger King smells? I did drive by and have a thought, though. I meditated. I had a thought of, man, it would be crazy if we had that title. Justin. Cheese cheeseburger. For the, and then I just drove. I kept driving. For the sake of other drivers on the road, don't meditate while you drive. That's dangerous. I just meant like I was not not like sitting there home, you know, like Indian, you know, Indian stance or or folded leg stance meditating. But, you know, I just meant I was thinking very hard about Burger King. I was concentrating. I was thinking hard about, How about you my think fandom about for Burger King. Traffic. <laughs> and not something that you're not even going to eat. <laughs> Come on, man. You got to stop berating me about this. You need to accept me for who I, I am. I wasn't going to bring but. it up, Justin. You asked me to. I just need you to accept me, Sterling. The whole movie was telling you to accept. Justin, I have. Learn the lesson of the film. I have 100% accepted you, Justin. You haven't accepted reality. I'm being the friend that's trying to help you accept reality and realize you don't actually like Burger King. I will never admit such a thing. That can't be true. The sad thing is, is you do every day you don't eat there. Just saying. There's got to be something behind it. You can love someone and not eat them. I mean, that's just, you can you can love and not eat. You cannot love right. a restaurant and actively choose to never eat there. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I, I think you can. Why can't? I just abstain. Man, but love that's like distance. saying my favorite food is a hot dog. And they go, man, this 4th of July, you going to eat any hot dogs? No. <laughs> you you going to eat any hot dogs? Probably not. Just, I'm never going to eat them. Yeah. But they're my favorite food. <laughs> I could eat them all the time. I just never do. <laughs> just going to have to, well, what are you going to believe? What you see or what I tell you? You're just going to have to take my word for it, Sterling. Justin, I do. Every time I ask you if you've gone there and you have yet to lie and say you did. So I'm taking you at your word, Justin. <laughs> I mean, you just got to have to trust me, man. You, uh, we, our friendship I needs do. to be more about trust. I trust the fuck out of you. trust that this is 
a real Justin, thing. at any point, you could lie to me and say, yeah, I ate there yesterday. I wouldn't ask you for the receipt. I wouldn't ask for proof. <laughs> I'd go, well, damn. He actually ate there. What can I say now? I have all the trust in you, Justin. I also have all the trust in the world that it's Burger King and you don't actually want to eat there. <laughs> Yeah, you got to stop. Tell him to stop and just drop it. You know. We we must move on. As Except always, in these was, podcasts. Thanks for that effort. Thanks for that. Effort. <laughs> See, and then I tried to move on, and you wouldn't let me. It's it's one of those where I'm like I'm so indifferent about Burger King that I'm just like you guys do what you want I'm I'm just here for the ride she doesn't she doesn't even care enough to speak on it she's just like man I'm just it's a <laughs> just thing it's just, a thing just do yeah. it guys and just finish <laughs> oh, see man. like I said I tried to fifteen seconds ago you did on that note thank you guys. I'm starting the outro completely over on that note. Just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is a Best Picture winner. I fucked that up and didn't even do the whole other spiel about how I end the TikToks, the audio, and the YouTube video. (laughs) Got me all fucked up with your cheese monstrosity. Nobody else listened to me. Nobody knew it was anything but you. Cinema Slayers. When I come down to Chicago, we need to try it just and just cut it like into pieces and just see how gross just to like, it's got to be gross. They're not even selling gross, it in America, Justin. It's in Thailand only. I mean, you're going to have to make All it. All right, I can make I'm it. Tell, yeah. No, make it. I'll make it. Yeah, make it. 100%. I just need to. I just think that would be so gross. You know, I was thinking about the other day, and I kind of wish Burger King would sponsor us now. I, I changed my mind on that. I want them to sponsor <laughs> us. And then they can make the Cinema Slayers Burger, where what it is is they go down to McDonald's and get a McDouble, and they give that to you. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. I'm out.